Oh no! Hello and welcome to a live deprogrammed episode. Uh, sorry for the problem at the beginning. I, I'm learning how to do the uh, the countdown before the intro so that we don't cut the intro off. But uh, I forgot to hit play on the intro. Anyway, uh, also the lights are weird tonight. They're doing weird things. So uh, just bear with me. So my guest tonight is actually someone who contacted me and we started talking uh he said you know we have we have similar journeys but to opposite sides uh, his name is hunter avalon avalon some of you may be familiar with him more familiar with him than i am he's a very big youtuber and started off doing uh conservative commentary so he's someone who has gone from the right to the left in fact, he's done a video called Why I Left the Right. And I'm not as familiar with him as some of you, but I do enjoy talking to people who disagree with me. I do it a lot more in real life than I do on my channel. And I do want to start having more conversations with people who disagree. And I'll make a clarification right up front for anybody who's looking for a debate. Uh, I don't debate. It's just not in my skill set. Usually, I'm happy to challenge people's beliefs that I disagree with and offer argumentation and evidence, but the whole style of debate is not usually something I enjoy or am good at. Uh, I, I like watching other people debate. I like watching, um, what's the guy who talks really fast? Ben Shapiro. He's someone who I think is very good at debate. Um, so that's not what you're going to get from me tonight. I'm just going to try to have a conversation and keep it natural like I do in real life and try and understand a person better. So uh, some people have said in the chat, I saw already people were saying that he's not sincere, that he is a grifter. And yeah, I've seen, I see some of those chats going by right now. I don't know. I don't know him well enough. Uh, a lot of people get called grifters these days. I just got called grifter today. And uh, grifter, I think you have to define what does that mean? There are grifters. Grifters are con artists, in my opinion. They're people who are insincere and say things that they don't actually believe so that they can accumulate wealth or fame or power over other people who are just essentially using ideas or belief systems uh, as, as a con. Um, there are lots of different kinds of cons. And some people use the ideology one. There are lots of cons in Christianity, for example. In fact, some of the big con artists in Christianity are people that I let, I let them represent Christians for me when I was younger. And so I sort of thought, well, that's what all Christians are like. And it turned out I was wrong. I met some very sincere Christians and I regretted ever letting the con artists represent 
what, what that belief system is about for me. So all of that to say, I don't know if he's sincere or not. I don't know enough about him. So that's why I'm going to talk to him tonight. And we'll see over the course of a conversation. The best way I've found to figure out if someone is sincere is to just talk to them face to face. And since I can't do it face to face over a video is going to have to do. And even then, sometimes you can't tell. Some people are very good at wearing masks and it takes a while and I've certainly been fooled in my life, and I'm sure all of you have, <laughs> by different people that you've known. And um, But the best way to do it is just try and get a sense and see if you have any red flags when you're talking to them. So I'm going to assume that he's sincere until he gives me reason to believe otherwise. Um, and so we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, sincerity, by the way, is something that I think is very important. And I know friends and and people who think that it's not, um, former friend who, who thinks that it's not. I, I don't know why, but it's always been important to me. When I was in social justice, I heard people in social justice say things like, your intent doesn't matter. And they would say that when they call you a racist or call you a sexist or a bigot. They'll say, and, and you're like, oh, I'm and if you're a sincere person, you're like, I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I'm not trying to, that's not what I mean. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sexist. I'm not trying to say something sexist. And they'll say intent doesn't matter. That's, that's one of their phrases that they like to repeat. And I think they're wrong. I think intent does matter. And when there are people who I guess are on the, who are not woke or not social justice kind of share that belief that sincerity or insincerity is is not an important factor. I don't really understand that because I guess it's because I can still have a good conversation with someone and like someone who has radically different beliefs than me if I think that they're sincere in those beliefs. And and I do have some friends like that who are who believe in social justice even, a few of them still and one of my one of my friends, for example, I know that she's in social justice because she still believes what I used to believe about it. She thinks that it's a belief system for ending racism and sexism. She thinks that it's progressive. Um, she thinks it's an ex it's a kind of liberalism, and I know that she thinks it's good. And so her intent being in that belief system is good in my opinion. And so, and I think she's a good person, even though I think her ideology is evil. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, that's, that's why sincerity matters to me. I would rather hang out with someone who's sincere and has an evil ideology than someone who has suspiciously like has all of my beliefs or repeats all of my beliefs back to me but is a liar and a con artist and doesn't demonstrate that they actually believe those things through their behavior. So uh, for example, in the past, I have done a conversation with um, Jangles, Justin Gibson. Some of you guys know him from Twitter. His, he goes by SJW debates. He enjoys debates. He's someone who likes debates and I don't agree with him on practically anything. And I think that his ideology is is truly evil, um, but I like him as a person. 
you know, is that strange? I think he's, I don't think so. I think he's a good person. I think he's very misguided. I've actually said that on Twitter to him before trying to explain this. And uh, I'm like, well, I don't, Jenkins, I don't agree with you on anything. I think your ideology is evil, but I think that you're a good person. And he's like, thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm just being honest. So um, let's see. Let's see. I can go through while we're waiting. So Hunter's going to be about, he said 10 to 20 minutes late. So it's been about 20 minutes, but we'll, we'll give him a little more time. And uh, if he doesn't show up eventually, I guess we'll end this because I don't, I'm not used to doing videos that are just me talking at the screen. I'm used to having a conversation with someone. So I'll go through the chat and answer questions if you want until um, he gets here. Oh my goodness. Uh, there's a big super chat. I'm trying to find it. Oh, there it is. Thank you, GJJ. He gives a hundred dollars and says, are you grifter who knows uh, by the way, 50% goes to your husband's guitar fund. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind. I'm not going to tell him that you said it was for his guitar. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's be real though. 50% goes to YouTube. <laughs> thank you very much, GJJ. Um, yeah, my husband is at a show tonight. And... Uh, I'm excited to see him later. There is a female trashing you on YouTube. She seems to be insane while wow, she's losing it. Oh, yes, I'm very aware. Um, we don't speak about she who walks behind the rose on this channel. <laughs> yeah, but thank you. Uh, a pirate and a good man. Thank you, Doc Savage. Pirate Tomsky is not here tonight. He's very busy. Uh, two sisters and some yarn is here to moderate. So give her a thank you. And yeah, I do. I do have a very good man. Some people were asking in the uh, comments on my last video about the intro music. The intro music for the deprogram series and for pop culture series were um, created by my husband. And very proud of them. I just sort of told him this is what I want it to sound like. And he got his electric guitar and did magic. And then he did some added drums and stuff in guitar, uh, guitar band in garage band. And he is going to be putting out a full version of the intro songs. So I'll let you guys know when those are up. I'm very excited. I think the deprogram song should just be a song, no lyrics until you get to the end and then just say deprogrammed like the tequila song. So, Oh, hi, Nina infinity is here. Oh my goodness, she says, Carrie, your new place looks great. Thank you, lady. Actually, you can't, I just kind of threw some stuff up behind me because there, we're, there's peeling wallpaper and the part that you guys can't see does not look great yet. It's, it's a construction zone, but uh, it's going to look amazing. The bones in this house are, I mean, they're very good bones. There's just a lot of rotted wood on the outside that we have to replace eventually. We have to replace the whole second floor balcony and currently since no one's lived in this house for 30 years we've had to like the first thing we had to do was fix the foundation and then we added heating and air because at texas summers it would have been impossible to live here this summer 
without that. And then we've now got a lot of the plumbing done. We're adding two bathrooms upstairs. Uh, the only thing we don't have yet that I really am excited to get next, like our next, I'm sort of breaking it up into goals because that way it seems it's not as overwhelming. So the next thing that I'm looking forward to, the next goal is getting a shower. Uh, currently we still, I go, I drive pretty far away to go to the gym shower and I'm getting tired of having to do that. <laughs> it sounds like first world problems. Like oh, I have to drive to the gym, but yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about getting a shower here. My husband has, has gotten tired of, of, uh, driving all the way there. So he just has started showering in the backyard with a garden hose. <laughs> Fortunately, we live kind of out in the country now, so it doesn't matter. But I can't, I was like, mm, yeah, I don't think I want to do that yet until like maybe if you hung a shower curtain for me. So there's been some talk about making an outdoor shower, but uh, it, it'll be nice. If, I'm like, let's just get the, let's just get it inside. We have what they, he and our friend David, who is a music producer who works with him, but also a contractor. And David's been spending a lot of time here at our house. And the two of them built the shower frame themselves. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. He's Anthony's trying to do as much as he can himself to save us money. Cause we have a very limited budget on all the renovations. And so, uh, he's been learning all this stuff with David. They he did the shower frame himself. He uh, they poured, they put the shower pan in, and they did some kind of quick set concrete in there. Recently, we got we finally got the plumbing done. We had a struggle keeping like we had seven different plumbers because they would just not show up, or they would start their work and not finish it. And um, I think from talking to other people, that's been pretty common. Like a, a there's a high demand for skilled workers right now. And they have a lot of uh, job offers that they can take. And so it's hard to get them to commit, especially if you live way out in the boonies um, and have a big job like ours. So um, anyway, I'm excited for the next steps with the shower. Let's see the swill. Thank you so much. The swill gives a, $10 super chat and says, insincerity is in the eye of the big grifter. <laughs> Thanks for all you do, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's subjective. But I'll see what my gut says. You guys can see what your gut says. In any case, I knew this show wouldn't be up the alley for some people. But for those who are interested, you know, maybe to be fruitful. Maybe we'll see how to have a conversation with someone who disagrees with you and, and sort of try and get to the things that you agree on. Plus, I'm just curious if, if he is sincere, like what, I don't know anybody who's, who's left the right and gone to the left other than when they're young, sort of, you know, in college. Um, a lot of people do that when they're younger. So and I think he's, I think he is a bit younger than me, but not that young. Uh, stop being posh, Carrie. Go get hosed down. <laughs> no, Nina. <laughs> no. <laughs> we still have neighbors, okay? Like, we're out in the country, but there's, like, neighbors back there. I'm gonna get shower back there. Okay, let's see. Uh, Greg asks, is there a supply chain shortage of skilled labor? Maybe. I think, I think they're just in very high demand right now. And I'll tell you, all the 
all the um, the wood and the the lumber, everything that we're buying, all the prices are pretty high right now, which is crazy. Contractors are definitely grifters. <laughs> well, not our not our uh, friend who's helping us out. He's great. He even stays here on a cot in our construction zone house when he's working on the days he's here. Okay. I think I got all the super chats. So what else? Do you guys have any questions? We can do a, it doesn't have to be about, about the show that we're doing tonight. Can I, ask, I don't know. This is why I don't do, <laughs> this is why I don't do uh the kind of shows people do where they're just talking to you at the camera. I'm like, mm, no, no, no. I have to have a back and forth, like a tennis match where I'm talking to someone, you know, two sisters says only fans account, Anthony showers. Mm. Anthony has quite a few fans who might actually go over to that only fans account. <laughs> when I met him, I was like, wow, you got a lot of music floozies. 16-bit mascot. Carrie, seriously, how much space in your home do you, do you dedicate to the hats? I could talk about hats and boots. We could do that. Uh, so somebody says Hunter's not coming. Let me see. He says he'll be here closer to 6.30, which is right now. He's putting his kids to bed. Okay, so we'll wait a few more minutes. Carrie, how much space in your home do you dedicate to the hats? Well, actually, I have a... In my old house I had a small room in the back that old house was built in 1950 and they would what they would do is when they would have a baby they would add on to the house sometimes like add a room and so that back room was small and and you could tell it had been added later and whoever added that room didn't properly insulate it so at my old house I had to have that room sort of um almost torn down and reconstructed because a lot of the wood was rotted so anyway, once that was done, I turned that back room into a closet. And so I just line the closet. I'm going to do this here too. I just line it with a, uh, a shelf that goes all the way around so I can put all the hats there and they don't get warped and stuff. Um, so that's it. Just the top of the closet for hats. I actually don't, I don't, people call me the hat person because I like hats. I, I, I wear them a lot, but I know a lot more. I don't know a lot about hats. I don't know a lot about handmade hat making. There is, I have one handmade hat. It's this beautiful red one that my friend gave me for my wedding. And uh, it's from a, a really great hat maker in Georgetown, Texas. Um, but uh, that's the only handmade one I have. And I, and I don't know enough about them to, to direct people on where to go. Usually I can tell you what I like style-wise. I've done that for friends before, but, but, um, but I know a lot more about boots. I used to sell handmade cowboy boots. And before that, I collected them for, I don't know, 10 years. And when I got to sell them, it was great because you're just walking into a boot shop, like a handmade boot shop, and the smell of the leather just permeates everything. It's a beautiful smell. It gets in your clothes. You take that smell home with you. And just to be around all that artwork, because the shop that I worked at, we did handmade reproductions of vintage designs. So it was all 1940s and 1950s patterns, which is, that was the heyday of cowboy boot making. So in the 40s and 50s, there were all these different TV shows with cowboys. Gene Autry 
Rory Rogers, um, people, Hopalong Cassidy, stuff like that. And so a lot of the bootmakers at that time were doing really decorative boots, like very colorful, lots of intricate patterns, what's called overlays and inlays of leather, where you've got cut out something leather behind it stitched in. And, um, and so we did all those reproductions. We did a couple of, of actual reproductions. Um, our bootmaker was third generation bootmaker from Leon, Mexico, and his grandfather was a very famous Mexican bootmaker. And so we did some of the ones I have are reproductions of his grandfather's designs, like this really amazing red pair called the Mariposa, which is a butterfly in the front and a phoenix on the back. They're in like the boot history books, that design, you know. So, um, yeah, when people want to know about cowboy boots, I know a lot more about that. And I can direct you if you ever need someone to give you advice on a boot, feel free to contact me. And I'll try to get to it because <laughs> I've done that for a ton of people. And there's a lot of, uh, oh, oh, this is a great super chat. Thank you. Fracky, long time. Thank you for the super chat. What's your favorite brand of handmade boots? See, if I were to do a show about this, <laughs> I don't know how many people would watch, but I could talk about boots forever. Uh, my favorite would be Rocket Buster boots out of El Paso, Texas. And she is just amazing if you go to rocket buster boots online it's what i call boot porn it's the gold standard of handmade she can do anything on a boot and she does it the authentic way like she's she doesn't do these cheap like two stitches you know she uses grade a leather um the soles of the boot are all lemon put together with lemonwood pegs no nails you know stacked leather heel no wood or cork or fill or anything um handmade welt uh around the edge of the boot and she just has beautiful designs, but her boots are, um, because they're, they're handmade and they're custom, which means they make them to your feet. They're going to start at around 1500 for a pair. I don't have a pair of, of rocket buster yet. One day I will own a pair. I scour eBay <laughs> for, for old rocket busters, but they can even go up to, I know some of the celebrities who bought boots from her. I mean, I think on the high end, her boots go for like 20 grand for a pair. Crazy. Um, but when you see them, you're like, oh, I get it. Like, there's a lot of work and love that went into to these, right? So I love Rocket Buster. If you, somebody says, do not Google boot porn. <laughs> no. Here, let me see if I can bring it up for you while we're waiting. Hunter's going to get in and be like, what are we talking about? Uh, okay. Let me show you some of this. I don't even get, you know what? I should get a, uh, I should approach her about getting a sponsorship or something as much as I talk about. I, I talk about these boots all the time off camera. Um, let's see here. I can put th this on the screen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just look at this art. Okay. And they have it all broken down so you can see uh, the different types that she does. So you can go into um, boots. Okay, let's just pick one. Like, let's pick animals, it's patriotic, exotics. Oh, she does great exotics too. Let's pick skulls and bones. I mean, look. Look at these. <laughs> 
it's just a work of art on your feet. There's a lot more. You can also get, I don't want people to think all handmade boots cost this much. They don't. The reason hers cost so much is because of the amount of time it takes to make them. Because look at all these overlays and inlays. All of that's done by hand. So it costs a lot because they're not just handmade. There's a lot of work in them. And because they're custom, so she's making them for your feet. But if you want to get a quality handmade boot, which I suggest if you're ever buying cowboy boots, I would splurge and get a handmade one because handmade ones last your whole life. You just resell them. And because a good handmade boot is going to, like I said, it's going to be put together with lemonwood pegs instead of nails. And in the sole, it's going to have a steel shank, which is very good for your um, back. So, so we actually used to, when I sold um, cowboy boots, we would sometimes get people who would come into the shop and say, you know, my orthopedic surgeon told me I need to either get surgery or a pair of good handmade boots. And so that's not just a sales line. Like that really happened. People would come in to get handmade boots because it's good for your spine. It puts it in good, good alignment. So if you want a more affordable pair, the best I've seen for affordable You guys, my power went out and came back. I can't believe that. I'm sorry. I can't believe you guys even stuck around. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Yeah, I froze. Hopefully, can you see me now on my back? I, I, I'm sorry about that. It, everything went off in the whole house and then it came back. Oh, great. Welcome back. And Hunter's here. Okay, so I'm just going to wrap this up. The last thing I was saying, Hunter, while you're waiting, we were talking about cowboy boots to kill some time. Uh, and I was about to tell you guys the best, most affordable handmade cowboy boots I've found are uh, a new brand, a relatively new brand called Tacova's. And I think they had a lot of money uh, put into them uh, by Yeti and a couple other places. But they do they do really quality handmade, much more affordable. You can get a nice pair of handmade for around $200 or $300. It just doesn't have all that really fabulous design work on it. That's how they have the good prices. So uh, time to kick in your generator. Yeah, I, I do need to get a generator. Okay. So without further ado, please welcome my guest tonight. Uh, Hunter Avalon, as I mentioned, he's someone who's gone from the right to the left, and I'm curious about that and interested in having a conversation with him about it. So welcome, Hunter. Thank you. Yeah. So, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so sorry that I was running behind, too. You know how it is with kids. That's okay. I, I don't know. I don't have kids yet. But... Oh, well, just generally, <laughs> as a general rule, uh, never expect to be on time, right? <laughs> right. Uh, well, it's actually it worked out because my power went out right before you got here. So uh, that would have happened while we were talking. It would have been weird. So this is well, good. Well, hey, at least I, uh, me running late for once was, uh, was a good thing. That's great. So I, I'm just going to start off with, I told uh, my chat a, a little about you. And um, the first thing I just wanted to ask you is for anybody who's not familiar with you, I know there were people in my chat who were kind of like, oh, I don't want to hear from him. He's not sincere. But there are also people who are saying, I don't know anything about him. And I know very little about you. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, how did you start doing YouTube videos? And when you say that you went from from right to left, can you give us a little background on that, on your beliefs? Yeah, sure. Um, so for most people watching, they probably know that I'm a really big grifter. Um, basically, just go wherever the money is. <laughs> and um, if you know that means like selling out, changing my political views tomorrow, then uh, I do it because it's all about the money for me. Um, obviously, I'm kidding. But I a lot of people seem to do think well that, with satire. So. Sarcasm <laughs> confuses me. People, <laughs> don't worry, don't worry about it. No, I I started making YouTube videos way back when I was much younger, and uh, I started off just making kind of funny. Um, like skits with my siblings and whatnot. Um, but I really started to delve into the politics side of things um, near the end of 2014 and then especially in 2015. That's when I really started taking it more seriously. Um, and and how, old, how old were you when you say when you were young? Like how old were you around that time? Um, I'm trying to think here. Uh, I was probably around 18 or 19. Oh, okay. So I was pretty young still when I, when I first broke into the politics sphere of everything. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until 2016 that I really started to, um, gain more, more popularity on my channel. Um, you know, views were starting to get, go up a lot more. I was starting to have more controversial opinions and, and really was just sharing a lot of conservative views. Um, all of well, which were views that I truly held. So um, can I ask you, what were some of those like conservative views that you had back then? Not yeah, conservative, sure. but conservative, or you said controversial. What were some of the controversial ones? I mean, if they're conservative views, they're going to be controversial. So okay, yeah. Kind of, kind of <laughs> but, True. Um, I, uh, I, I was heavily against anything involving the LGBT community. Uh, I was heavily against BLM. Um, I'm trying to think what else I did. Uh, I was usually, 
those were like the big ones. I mean, I really started to gain a lot of notoriety after I did my video called uh, The Truth About Transgenders, which surely you can tell from just the title alone that that sounds like, you know, it's going to get a very uh, wonderful response from people on the left. Um, and uh, yeah. What, no, it, what were it, you saying in that video? What were your opinions back then about transgender people? Um, basically, I was saying things that weren't really real ar arguments against LGBT stuff. So I was saying something like, you know, it's not normal or something, which I mean, it, it's not on a statistical sense. But I mean, whether or not something's normal is really aside the point as to whether or not it's moral or right or wrong. So some of my arguments were just kind of kind of poorly set up. Uh, I said it wasn't normal. I said that they um, I'm trying to think what else I said. I but... think I can understand you there because I actually make this point quite a bit is for some reason, people, we, we, we seem to attach um, a value judgment to whether something's normal or not to some things, but not to others. So mm. if you say, for example, it's not normal to have gender dysphoria, I think a lot of people will hear what you're saying is that it's bad or it's um, that you should treat people who have it poorly or something when I, or it's inferior when that's not what I think that means. And for some reason we don't do it with other things. Like if we say it's not normal for Jewish people to be tall, there's no value judgment there. Right. Like it's not like, and therefore let's treat them poorly. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? No, I definitely, but, I definitely can see where you're coming from. And I think that that was part of um, the problem in my initial video is that I was actually saying that it wasn't uh, normal as a way to further attack uh, transgender individuals. Um, a lot of it though, is I think just based purely on a misunderstanding. Um, I didn't really have a good concept or, or understanding of sex and gender and how those concepts sort of, sort of work together, but aren't necessarily like, like connected to to set per se like in a causal sense um a lot of it was just kind of a lack of understanding i, I definitely thought that the trans community was uh, ignoring biology and, and stuff like that um which i can i mean even now i can understand why people might have that perspective because i know why i had that perspective and it was really because i just didn't understand the concepts the way that i do now so now you don't believe that there's any that there's no, you don't believe there's a connection between sex and gender, a biological basis. Or yeah, well, there, there definitely is a connection in the sense that, I mean, socially speaking, we apply certain forms of gender uh, expectations and gender roles on people, um, which are fully socially constructed. Um, but there obviously is a connection because the way in which we go about assigning those gender roles are based usually on when someone's born and looking at their genitals. So it is correlated with biology but um, you think it's so all social well i mean not the biological part but the the gender part yes the the gender uh, concept it so is talking about a social construct have you read those studies about i'm sure you have that get cited a lot <clears throat> excuse me about capuchin monkeys i think it was where they studied them and, and they gave them different kinds of toys and the female monkeys, the baby monkeys, would gravitate more towards dolls, and the male monkeys would gravitate more towards mm -hmm. movable, like trucks and things. Have you? Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't <clears throat> heard of that study specifically, but I, I'm definitely aware of the fact that um, th there have been studies that show that a lot of the times males will gravitate towards different sorts of activities than uh, females will. But the thing is, is that. Even if that were the case, I, I don't. I heavily disagree with the idea that that should somehow be enforced. So, for example, maybe the average male would be more likely to gravitate towards a toy truck, 
I don't think that it should then be used as you're not really a, a good man or you're, you're kind of like a weak beta man if you don't want to play with trucks. Well, I actually agree with you on that. So there's one thing we can put in the agree on column. I don't think there's anything wrong, <clears throat> excuse me, with a girl who uh, prefers trucks over dolls or a, a boy prefers dolls over trucks. So there's mm -hmm. no moral judgment there. I don't think there's one right way to yeah. be a man or a woman. So, but let me back up a little because I, I went, I kind of got specific when I wanted to hear more of the broad stroke. So you were doing these videos when you were like around 20, you were young you were doing conservative videos on YouTube. Is that when you built up, you built up a pretty large following. I was looking at your page. Is that yeah. when you built most of those followers? It was primarily during 2016, 17, and even 18 and 19. I was really building quite a lot of, of followers. Um, primarily 2016, you know, it was kind of a, a, interesting because although the anti-feminist wave was massively like happening in 2016, um, I started making anti-feminist videos and it was the complete reverse. It wasn't as if I saw that this thing was really popular and then decided to do it. It was actually that I was hearing a lot of shit about, oh, I'm sorry. Am I able to swear on here? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sorry. I was hearing a lot of crap about feminism and the insane things that some of these feminists were saying. And so I started to make videos just sharing my thoughts on that. And I didn't even know that this was like a huge thing on YouTube at the time. So Obviously, from there, my videos really started to pick up traction, and I, I started to gain really from 2016 onward. And were you always, because I know you were young when you said you first started getting into these, like sharing your opinion, your political opinions and your ideas on uh, cultural issues. Were you raised in a household that was conservative, or was that something you came to as a young adult on your own? Did you have of... opinions before that, political opinions before that when you were younger? Yeah, it was really a little bit of both. So, I mean, um, my parents were not actually really super political in general. They were more just kind of, you know, the, the standard, well, we vote against the Democrats, just vote Republican. They weren't really like into politics the way that I am, for sure. Um, but my grandparents were a lot more into politics. They were also really heavily conservative. Uh, they were considered Tea Party, I think, for a little while. Um, and so some of my inspiration for, for politics definitely came from their influence on me, I think, but I've always been a really outspoken and passionate person. And like when I believe something, I, I always am uh, interested in fighting for that opinion in, in a way. So although my opinions definitely somewhat came from my grandparents, uh, they were also my own opinions. And I, I did believe them to be correct and, and true as I was talking about this in, a, in my content. Um, but yeah, I, I've always just been a really passionate person too about stuff that I'm into. Yeah. And so, so what happened for you in your transformation of thought? Cause I know, and people who watch my show, they sort of know the broad strokes of what happened to me, which was a long process of leaving what I do. I do call a cult of belief. My old belief system was social justice. I was in it for two decades. Um, I came to it around the same time. You not the same time. I'm a bit older than you. <laughs> quite a bit. I came to it around the same age that you started doing your political videos. So uh, when I was at college in my late teens, um, that's when I sort of started uh, through women's studies classes, critical race theory, queer theory, these kind of classes. I was picking up this belief system, but that I don't think I even realized it was a belief system at the time. Anyway, I was in it for a long time. Leaving it also took a couple years. What was your 
story? Like what, what were some things that you started to think that made you question your, your beliefs and things that you'd been talking about? Right. Um, I mean, it was, it too was a, a pretty slow process. A lot of people are under the impression that this happened overnight for me. Um, and, and I think part of the reason for that is just because since I was like a, a public conservative figure, um, people aren't seeing my day-to-day -day life. I, I, I didn't make vlog videos, right? Like, I mean, I would jump on my camera and record a video. I was usually posting two videos a week and it was just me talking about politics. People really had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. Um, so I, I, I sympathize with some people who claim that like, it seems like I transformed my political beliefs overnight or something like that. But in reality, it was it was just a very long process. Um, first, it was the birth of my daughter. Um, at the time, you know, uh, um, I was pretty I was pretty anxious about all of that, uh, especially because, uh, you know, I was so young and everything. But once my daughter was born, I was just I was so thrilled to have her. And that was kind of the main th the, the first thing that really started this off, because I started thinking, I was so confident in my opinion that having a kid here was not going to be the right thing for me. And yet here I was completely wrong about that. So I sort of started reassessing like what else might I be wrong about in my life? Um, because I was truthfully, I was like shocked because of how, um, how strongly I held the belief that this was not going to be a, like a good idea for me, or this was going to be, it be something that was going to really kind of screw up my life in a way. I know it sounds harsh, but I mean, it, th those were truthfully the kind of thoughts that were going through my head. Um, and then, yeah, obviously that turned out to be completely different. Um, and I now actually have a son as well. So, um, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. That that's kind of where it, it really started. Um, and I did some debates. I was confronted with certain data sets that uh, really kind of flew in the face of the type of opinions that I was I was uh, espousing previously. Um, and it was really through 2019 where the majority of my, my change happened. So my daughter was born at the very beginning of 2019. And it wasn't until the very uh, it wasn't until 2020 in like April or something that I actually announced that I was leaving completely like walking away from the right um so i mean it was still quite a process there was still a lot of introspection i had to do a lot of research um so yeah i mean i guess that kind of clears up the the thought that maybe this was just like overnight are you were you back then when you say you left the right were you um <clears throat> were you a republican were you strongly identified would you say you were pro-republican and pushing a party or was it more of uh conservatism I mean, I yeah i mean I, I voted republican of course um and yeah I, I wasn't so much like oh the republican the 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 rnc i wasn't exactly into that side of things it was much more the sort of conservative social politics especially that's why i still right now focus primarily on social politics so like i said trans stuff uh blm those are some of the top top subjects that i would hit on because they were both social issues and I had a conservative opinion on them at the time. Mm -hmm. And what about now? Are you a Democrat? Do you, would you say that you're someone who, same question, you push the Democratic Party or you just consider yourself, you said in your bio, you're a social Democrat. So what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, and just to clarify for people in the chat, a social Democrat is not the same thing as a Democratic Socialist. To be crystal clear, I am not. What's the difference? So a social Democrat believes in capitalism still, which I do. I, I think that capitalism right now is the best and most realistic, at, at the very least, uh, economic system. 
And I think that the best way that we can go about improving society is partially, besides, of course, the social change, but also the implementation of stronger social safety nets. So I always point to the Scandinavian countries, which have just stronger social safety nets. They have uh, um, more access to healthcare. I think that that's a really big thing that needs to change here in America. And their happiness levels over there are way higher than where we are here in America. They, they have much more economic mobility as well. Um, so that's what a social democrat is. A democratic socialist, those are people that believe in socialism, which I still think socialism and communism are honestly like a pipe dream uh, at best, <laughs> uh, maybe incoherent at times as well. But they believe that we should get to socialism democratically. So vote, kind of play into the system until we are able to reach a point that we can then implement actual socialism, usually some form of a market socialism. Um, so yeah, that's not that I, I'm not, I'm not a commie. <laughs> I'm not a commie cuck as I say over here. So mm -hmm. there's, there's someone asking this in chat. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, I started it so I can find it. Um, now you can tell me if you think this is accurate or not. I, I don't know. He says, does anyone catch this is regret to inform you and anyone catch him saying that his anti-gay views were quote conservative opinions that pisses me off. He may have been a phobe, but don't blame your personal views on a party. Um, were you, do you think that you were phobic back then or that you, you didn't like gay people or, or trans mm, people? Were, were you, I, were you, I don't know, prejudiced towards them? Homophobic. Yeah. The, the, all the phobics and the isms. Um, yeah, well, first to address the question, uh, I mean, it's primarily conservatives who are pushing for legislation that is anti-gay or anti-trans. It is primarily conservatives who are not as in favor of gay marriage, primarily because there tends to be a lot of overlap between Christian conservatives as well. So uh, was I a phobe? Like, no, I don't actually think I was. I definitely spread uh, bullshit that mm -hmm. contributed to that kind of thing. And I definitely spread nonsense that other people who did vehemently hate gay people and think that they were like subhuman degenerates um, would totally agree with and love my my content then. But no, I don't think that I myself was actually like a really homophobic person in the sense that I wasn't scared of gay people. I didn't run away from gay people. You know, I knew gay people at the time. I know that's kind of corny. I have a gay friend. But I wasn't really like, I, well, I wasn't really like a personal homophobe, but I would say that that's almost irrelevant because the content that I made and the type of bad ideas that I furthered um, led to far more homophobia to the point that whether or not I was actually personally a homophobe was almost is almost irrelevant. Okay, so well, let's dig into this then because you say conservatives, are pushing anti-gay or anti-trans policies, um, we probably have some disagreement on this. So, and, and maybe we have some overlap on things we do agree on, but for example, what would you define as anti-trans? Do you, do you think that the, in Texas, that's where I'm at, for example, mm -hmm. um, our governor has now said, we're not going to allow children to make permanent medical decisions mm -hmm. regarding gender identity until they're an adult. So we're no, there were some clinics here that were doing even double mastectomies on kids as young as 13. That's not going to happen anymore. Our governor has said no puberty blockers, no cross-sex hormones, no surgeries until you're 18. And you mentioned the Scandinavian countries. In some ways, you admire them. This is one of the ways 
I admire them in some ways too. Uh, mm -hmm. Switzerland and Finland, for example, they have done this. They have banned these medical, these elective medical procedures until you're 18. Mm -hmm. Is that a policy? That's a policy I agree with. I don't think it's anti-trans. I think it's geared towards protecting children from themselves, the medical establishment, maybe right, misguided right, right. parents. Do you, is that legislation or or that you would consider a policy that you would consider anti-trans? Um, just to be clear, is this the one where Governor Abbott said that uh, it was child abuse and that parents should be investigated for yes. going through? Okay, yeah. Um, to be honest, I'm trying to take a more like empathetic approach here too because I can honestly see it from the conservative standpoint. Right. Um, and I also think that there's a lot wrong with the industry right now and how they handle the issue of transgender people. So th this is sort of like a, a multi-layered question slash problem. So, for example, trans people exist and can be valid in their gender identity, while simultaneously certain clinics and medical institutions might not be following policies properly and in turn doing actually legitimate harm to people who might not actually be trans at the end of the day. So just to be clear, even if there were a problem with the gender clinics and with the medical institution, that is a separate uh, problem. Whereas like trans people as a actual concept, um, I think that they're valid regardless of how the, the uh, medical institution handles stuff. What, but, is th what does that mean though? They think that they're valid. Like, like I, I, I would believe that yeah, people are saying that it's valid. Here comes the buzzwords. No, not at no. all. This means that I validate their gender identity. And I, I believe that they are the gender that they say they are. Oh, that's okay. What, that's what valid means. Just for the person in chat, that is not that is not a buzzword at all. That is that's well, literally that's important there. to figure out what those definitions mean so I can understand what you're saying and you can understand me. And so you're saying when you say you believe they're valid, you are validating. You're saying that they are the gender they say they are, but not the biological sex. Is that right? Well, they they are the biological sex. That that's not an identity. So if somebody came came to me who was biologically male and said I identify as a biological female, I would say no, you're not a biological female because your biology is a fact of the matter and it's irrelevant based on how you identify. Um, because again, it, it has to actually be a form of identification for it to be something you can identify as or identify with, right? So female is not a form of identity, whereas man and woman, based on the social collection and characteristics that we assign to people, that is a form of identity. And so it's definitely, I understand how it sounds really complicated, but I mean, there are a lot of identities that we accept uh, just off of people's word. I mean, I like to bring up religion a lot, which with the one caveat, of course, being that you can change your religion where it's a little bit harder to change your gender identity. That's why conversion therapy and whatnot has never really worked. But I mean, if somebody comes up to me and tells me that they're a Christian, um, I have no way of really knowing that. I can't verify this. Um, so I, I take them at their word for it at the end of the day. But the thing is, is that just like trans people who, if they identify as a woman, odds are they're going to be taking steps to try and present themselves with some kind of an understanding of what uh, cis women present themselves as. So similarly, Christians, I don't know at the end of the day if you're really a Christian or if you're really not a Christian, but I can also look for signs to indicate that. So you might go to church every day or excuse me, every Sunday, you might have a, a Jesus shirt. You might have a Christian or a, a cross on your wall. I don't look at those things. <laughs> you don't look at those things? No, because that's... 
Well, before you got here, I was trying to explain to people. Uh, well, Grifter, Grifter, for example, since that came up in my chat, where they were like, oh, don't talk to me as a Grifter. And I was, before you got here, I was saying, well, Grifter, it, it means something. And I, I think there are Grifters. I've met a few. You and I probably agree on some who some Grifters are. Yep. Uh, th in my opinion, they're con artists. And so they're people who are saying things, they're saying ideas and beliefs that are not sincerely their own in order to attain money or fame or power over others. Exactly. And you've got those in Christianity, you've got them in woke, you've got them in anti woke, you've got them in any belief system. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really comes down to me to sincerity. And so I, I look to behaviors, I look to the way people carry themselves in the world to see what they believe. Because mm -hmm. I've gotten to the point where, like you, I'm sure, and like other people, I've been fooled by the words people say. Mm -hmm. And as I was saying before you got here, I would rather hang out with someone who's sincere and has a totally different belief system than mine. Even if I think their belief system's evil and I tell them so, and mm -hmm. I do think social justice is evil. That's my opinion. But I know, I know good people who that is their ideology. And I know that they're in it with sincerity and they believe that it's good. Yeah. And I would rather hang out with them than with people who say, the beliefs that I hold to me, but demonstrate mm. with their behavior that they don't actually believe anything they're saying. Right. So, so that's a, that's to get to that. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's a tangent. You were saying if, to no, determine no, no, if they were no, Christian, no. you would look to see like what shirt they're wearing and stuff. It's like, yeah, well no, I'd kind of look at what they're, how they carry themselves, but I well, hear what you're saying. That's absolutely part of it too. I mean, I was kind of just spitballing a couple different right. ways in which you might be able to deduce like, oh, it seems like this person is probably a Christian based on how they're presenting themselves, basically. Right. Um, but can also I, it is I... behaviors. There are also behavioral elements of of gender as well. Well, so that so then let's let's get to the gender part that you're talking about. So and I hope you don't mind me pulling this apart just to understand it better. So no, not at all. so when you say they are the gender that they identify as and you validate that, um, I guess that's where on this issue, we we're going to have a little disagreement because I don't really, I no longer, I used to, I used to uh, believe that gender was this sort of separate thing, uh, th this definite category that's separate from sex. And now I don't really view it so much as a category. I just kind of view it as aesthetic choices or how you like to present the things that, and I know several people who have gender dysphoria, um, some who call themselves trans, others who, for reasons that are important to them, call themselves transsexual instead of transgender. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I do I, I do believe that they they have great discomfort um, living life as the biological sex that they that that their body happens to be, and that they that it they've they've. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple of people I know specifically. Well, that they've tried different things and that this is the one thing that relieves a lot of that dysphoria for them is to present as the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand that. I don't think that means that I'm validating that they are that gender. Maybe you would say I am. In fact, I've been called a trans-enabling Pharisee <laughs> recently <Wonderful. laughs> for, uh, in some cases... I, I will use a person's preferred pronoun. For me, it comes back to sincerity. If there's someone who they're not trying to force me to pretend that they're the opposite sex and they're not mm -hmm. trying to control my language 
and they're not trying to uh, push this, this, what I think has become very common now, this idea that gender dysphoria is normal or something that all kids must grapple with and figure out for themselves. If they're not trying to push that on kids and push that ideology on, on children, then I don't have a problem respecting, you know, what they're asking. So sure that we may disagree on that. Maybe we overlap. I don't know. But I mean, the thing that I would want to ask you is you, you seem to be willing to acknowledge, oh, sorry, I clicked something on my screen. Um, you seem to be willing to acknowledge that there are in fact people who have gender dysphoria and are yes, struggling with a very real discomfort. My of question course. is what should be done when children have that as well? Um, well, I think for children, we should do what we've done until very recently, which is a lot of therapists were working with kids, first of all, to see if there was some underlying issue that wasn't being addressed. There is a high um, incidence of, of kids who have autism who are, are claiming to be trans now or to have gender dysphoria. Um, there are kids, sometimes not just kids, but adults who have personality disorders who are claiming mm. to be gender dysphoric. And, you know, it used to be that you would kind of try and go through everything else that you could to find a solution or find a root cause before you would say, okay, let's make permanent decisions regarding your body, your sex organs, your development, you know, all of that stuff. I, I um, totally agree with you though. So the thing is, is that there are going to be instances where somebody might be confused or a child, even more specifically, might be confused in thinking that they have gender dysphoria. And um, th this is sort of where uh, I try to handle that or I try to approach this with the the most objective stance that I can and objective, I mean, like non-biased, um, which is that this is a, something that needs to improve when it comes to the the gender clinics right now. It shouldn't be that you're able to just and it largely isn't, to be clear, you shouldn't be able to just walk in and claim you're trans and, and then start with treatment. Usually what happens, or at least according to the actual um uh, transgender institution, the the World Health, not World Health Organization, I forget, it's WPATH for short. Um, they issue the, the standard guidelines that should be followed, which says that uh, there should be no permanent surgery done until you're the age of 18 minimum, that you need to have persistent gender dysphoria for a minimum of six months consistently before any other action besides maybe like social transition uh, is taken. Um, so those are standards that I think are really good. Obviously, I don't want anybody go having a permanent life altering surgery done before they're the age of 18. I would totally oh, okay. agree with that. And okay. that, but, but that is the standard. That's actually the guidelines from WPATH, which is the, the world transgender organization that issues those guidelines. So the thing that I, the, my problem is if I'm seeing that happen, if there are kids, like you said, you, you reference somebody as young as 13, having a mastectomy then I would be starkly opposed to that because it's not some problem with trans people. This is a failure of that institution to actually abide by the standards that are, are issued mm -hmm. in regards to trans people and gender dysphoria. Um, Do you agree that there's a somewhat of a, so uh, that there's a social contagion now happening where there are a lot of these kids, especially who are saying, well, I'm trans too, that there's an element of picking this up from culture mm -hmm. and your social circle and um, different websites, um, yeah, Tumblr, I, things I like that. that. There probably is actually. And, and that's something that a lot of people in my audience don't 
uh, agree with me on. I haven't really seen any data one way or the other. I know there was that one study on rapid onset gender dysphoria. We don't need to get into that one, but that was not a very good study. Um, okay. But I do believe, of course, that there's it's possible for there to be a social contagion. Um, but this exists with various different uh, societal problems or, or, or things, I guess, if you, I want to put it that way. Um, so, for example, there's been evidence, there has been evidence that shows that uh, if young people are hanging out in like a group chat with a bunch of people who are depressed, they are more likely to perceive themselves as being depressed. Oh, yeah. So there is absolutely that's... such a thing as as a social contagion. But again, this would be on the clinic to be handling this kind of a thing properly. And I think that in many cases they do because you can look at how many people are referred to these clinics and then turned away after going through the assessment, essentially. Um, so yeah, I, I think that there could be a social contagion. I, I would never rule that out. But the problem is a lot of the times I think people say there's a social contagion. So therefore, uh, trans people are bad. We need to stop talking about trans people. We can do both. Like, for example, if kids have an understanding of depression and there is also a possibility of there being a social contagion, then it's not on the depressed people who actually have depression to feel ashamed or they shouldn't be stigmatized or treated poorly by society because of the possibility of a social contagion. Are you aware that actually, I mean, maybe you are, but a, a lot of the trans folks I know who speak out against transitioning children medically or surgically, um, that they are actually, they express fear about a possible backlash because people can't distinguish them from what's becoming known as like trans trenders. Now you may not like that word trans trender. You may think it's how do, how do, who, how do I get to determine who's sincere and who's not right. But, but do you, do you know that there's kind of that fear that like, uh, because this is being pushed so strongly that transitioning kids, you may even disagree with that. Maybe you don't think it's being pushed. Well, but I think that's, um, I'm sorry, could you repeat that last part of your question? Well, again? Uh, are I you aware that there are trans genders? Right. Yes. And do you, okay, you do think there's such things as transgenders. <clears throat> are you aware that there are transgender people or people with gender dysphoria, adults, mm -hmm. who are afraid of a backlash rising because they're being lumped in with this sort of this trans movement to normalize and and push trans ideology this idea that every kid needs to grapple with their gender identity and figure out what it is that there's that growing fear of what's going to develop because of that that they can't be different that some people can't differentiate them from trans trenders for example well usually what i would say in regards to the trans trenders stuff so again this is where i break away from the the farther online lefty sort of spheres i actually I fight with those people almost as much as conservatives lately. Um, and, and I would say that the trans trenders more fall into the realm of, of neo pronouns and the neo genders. Um, it really pisses me off when somebody says like, oh, I'm 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 tree gender because I like trees. I'm like, mm -hmm. wait, you, if you're going to identify as a woman, there needs to first exist the social construct of a woman as far as that, that identity for you to identify as. And that's usually on a spectrum of, of masculine and feminine. There's something you're identifying as or with where like, how is a tree masculine or feminine? Like it's, it doesn't even fall on a spectrum of masculinity or femininity. Right. And a lot of the times people, if they say, well, actually it does, I would then say, 
I thought you guys want to lessen this, the, the uh, amount of gender in society. Now you're putting gender on everything. Now you're saying even fucking trees are, uh, are you know, women or men or masculine or feminine. Um, so those people, I would say, were, are, are definitely more in line with the trans trenders. Um, what I, I don't think that there are people or there might be, but I would not be comfortable trying to judge which people are trans trenders if they are honestly just identifying as a man or identifying as a woman. And the other thing is also is that surgeries and medical intervention should not be taken in or shouldn't be be done if this person doesn't have gender dysphoria. So it's possible that somebody might identify as a woman and be comfortable with their biological makeup differing from the gender that is usually correlated with their biological makeup. And that person shouldn't be going to a clinic to have hormones or, or anything because they're already comfortable with it. The, the medical intervention is much more in regards to gender dysphoria specifically. And of course, if somebody has gender dysphoria and that's medically documented, then I would definitely not be able to say that they were then a trans trender because it's, there's medical proof at that point that they actually do have some kind of, of ailment that demands medical intervention. Hmm. So a lot of it's just kind of like trying to separate those concepts. Um, yeah, I recognize there's a lot of, of well, possibilities for them. So I'm, I, like I said, I'm a bit older than you. A lady's not going to tell her age. But okay. <laughs> uh, in the 90s, we had a couple of social contagions. One of them was anorexia, which is a very real thing, obviously, eating disorders that affect people. And, but what I mean by social contagion is that it reached, uh, it reached a point of, of, of public consciousness where people were talking about it. It was an entertainment. There was an episode of Ally McBeal about it. And suddenly people who had never, bless you, who had never grappled with that before kind of adopted it. You saw a lot more young girls in particular adopting that and picking up this behavior and saying, yes, I'm anorexic too. And, uh, or I'm bulimic too and adopt. And there was this explosion of eating disorder cases from what I recall. This was one of those examples of social contagion. I think something similar happened with cutting where it reached, mm -hmm. it reached this critical mass of, of in, the, in the public square where enough young people had heard about it, where it became this thing of like, you know, yes, I cut too. And then, and then there's more people doing it. Um, and I would say probably I'd put satanic panic in there. So in the 80s, 90s. Yeah, I remember that. Well, but I don't remember it, but I, I you don't remember, up yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah, very interesting stuff. But there were all these people. It, it coincided with, um, uh, I think it was the the publication of a book about about what at the time was called multiple personality disorder, and now they call it dissociative identity disorder. But it's where somebody like Sybil, like the book Sybil, where it's like I've got all these different personalities in my head. And so around that time, um, the the idea of being able to have memories that you had buried that were then retrieved recovered memories became popular mm -hmm. and around that same time there were all these cases one after the other of kids at daycare centers and stuff saying i have these recovered memories of satanic abuse and there were all these um satanic rituals happening and and there was ex explosion of it in the news my point being I've seen social contagions before where something hits critical mess in the public consciousness. And then there are lots of young people exposed to it for the first time, an idea they've never had before. 
mm-hmm. that other, a small percentage of a fraction or, or what have you, or a small percentage of people have dealt with, that you're introducing it to the mainstream and now you have all these new cases. Why? I think the trans, the trans activists would say, well, the reason we're seeing an explosion of kids now saying they're trans is because we've reached a place in society where it's safe to do so now. And they've sort of always kind of in the middle. I I would say it's because there is definitely more acceptance to the point that I would expect to see an uptick of people who are comfortable coming out as trans. But um, I I don't know if I would say society is completely there because there are still also a lot of problems and and discrimination that trans people face almost on a day to day basis. I mean, just the statistics are are, pretty. Pretty, pretty disappointing for sure that when you read about how they're more likely to be victimized by uh, violent crime or violent assault, uh, they're more likely to be homeless. They're more likely to be uh, just put in bad situations. Usually there's there's higher rates of drug use. People will bring that up because of the negative uh, circumstances they're sort of pushed into, whether it's getting kicked out of their house or something. Um, so yeah, like the my, my question for you though would be <laughs> that let's go back to what you said, that there was a bit of a social contagion with anorexia. Mm-hmm. So what do you think should have been done about that? Because you will, I know you will, will agree with me that anorexia is a real illness. Mm-hmm. It is a real problem. And people that are really anorexic need to be treated. They need to, they need to get help immediately. So like, sort how does this apply necessarily to the trans issue? Because again, even if there were a social contagion, like there was with anorexia, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden anorexic people are bad or anorexic Correct. people are insane or degenerate or something. Correct. Or nobody should ever know about anorexia. Correct. I think that's a great question. That's the kind of question that makes you think and reach, right? Um, I think the difference is if we're trying to compare the at least the way these two things were treated or have been treated. One difference is with the anorexic person, I don't think there's as much of a uh, move to make anorexia your identity. Now that's mm-hmm. changed a little in the past few years. Now I see people kind of incorporating whatever mental health issues they have into their identity such that I think it's dangerous because they, they start to think this is part of who I am. Which means they're less likely. It's not definitely not a one to one comparison because gender can be a form of identity where anorexia is not an identity; it's an illness. I agree. So, but I do, I do think there's more of a when it comes to if a kid is saying I'm I'm trans or I'm gender dysphoria, there is more of this push to immediately validate, and you and that's one difference with anorexia where it's like we don't tell the anorexic person, yes, you are fat. You're right. Uh, we don't validate what they see when they look in the mirror. Um, does that make sense? Or I, I know it it's sense, not. A- but I also think that there's a, a really crucial follow up here because I've heard mm-hmm. the exact same argument made in regards to schizophrenic people that you don't take a schizophrenic into the office and then say, yeah, the radio really is talking to you. Um, mm-hmm. And that's true because that does harm to the individual where what we have right now in the available research is. When you have a child who actually does have gender dysphoria, not somebody who's just, you know, my friend thought it was funny, so I want to be this way, but who genuinely has gender dysphoria, validating their gender, gender affirming care is what it's called, does, it benefits that individual. It makes their life better. It lowers their likelihood of committing suicide. It brings their, their, uh, um, 
cognitive functionality back up to similar rates of the general public in many uh, in many circumstances. So I hear that argument a lot, and I I, I would I would agree where with that coming from, but it, there there's a difference, right? Because you wouldn't you would not validate an anorexic person because they will starve themselves and die by not validating somebody that actually is trans then you are actually doing harm in that case because you are making it more likely that they will uh, commit suicide. That 100% low, uh, excuse me, raises the likelihood of them committing suicide. There are also I, a lot of, oh, I'm trying I to- I agree with you. No, I actually agree with you because I know, and I, I'm trusting my friends who have gender dysphoria, who've told me it helped me to start to live as or present as the opposite sex. I trust like them. Like social transition. I, how am I to say it didn't help them? I don't know. But what I would argue with you is that there's, we're doing much, we're doing a lot of harm currently with kids who are not gender dysphoric, truly, who are caught up in this social contagion, who might have underlying issues where they don't feel like they fit in. But that, um, issue, well, victim, well, just, sorry, can I, ahead, I, I just finish this point? And, and, I think that those, because of watching the stories of, of people who've detransitioned, which for some reason seems to affect more women than men, there's more biological women who are saying, I regret transitioning, you know, those videos that you can watch, anybody can yeah. watch them on YouTube, Reddit, um, um, that the harm that we're allowing them to do to themselves as kids um, is a great harm. And is there not some middle ground where if a kid comes to a gender clinic you don't immediately validate and say you're right you must be this other you must be this other gender is there not some middle ground where it's like let's figure let's pull this apart like is it shouldn't the therapist explore underlying issues first and figure out what's really going on before they tell the parents start calling the kid the other pronoun immediately start you know validating immediately what i'm seeing that that's what i'm seeing i know it's anecdotal but i'm in a lot of facebook groups that are for parents one of the one of the biggest ones is called parents supporting parents of trans kids i think it's like 17,000 people or something it's pretty large i'm in some other ones and i i just kind of like to see what's happening in this area and there's a lot of this sort of immediate validation without considering any other avenue. Well, and this yeah. is assuming that they're going in and essentially getting a diagnosis, right? Because again, you wouldn't have any kind of medical intervention if you didn't have gender dysphoria. So if you had somebody like a, a kid who was genuinely a victim of social contagion and they said, my friend is trans, so I think that's cool. The, like you, that wouldn't qualify them to have any kind of medical intervention whatsoever. Um, so there's that. And then as far as like just instantly validating them, they would again have to be diagnosed first. And that diagnosis takes time that usually you have multiple therapists that weigh in. Um, you usually ha have family doctors or therapists. Again, this isn't like my little Timmy played with a Barbie doll. So now we got to take them into the gender clinic and have their penis cut off. Like this is a much larger and long drawn out process where, again, you have to be showing persistent gender dysphoria for a minimum of six months. So, so I but what about with the parents? So like in this group, there's an orthodoxy where they are told in the group for parents, these parents supporting other parents. 
and the parents who don't behave in this way, in, in the way that they're told to in the group get booted. So they don't get to hear more of the advice, <laughs> but the advice is very, you know, our way or the highway and it's immediate validation before there's a diagnosis or anything. I'll give you just one quick example. And what maybe you agree. With, look like? Well, here, here's an example. Maybe, maybe you'll say, okay, well, that's just one example, but I do agree with you on it. Or maybe you'll say, well, that's just one example. And I don't agree. I don't know. But one example, um, there was a recent article published by Christina Buttons and Colin Wright about one of the parents in this group. And they kept the identity anonymous and everything. The parent came in, I think the daughter was four or five, and said, here's a book that I gave my daughter for Christmas. And it's all about gender identity and how you can be born in the wrong body and uh, being a good ally. And in the comments, somebody said something supportive, like, oh, it's so great to see a parent supporting their kid, their, their young kid, right? And the, the mom said, no, no, my daughter's not trans. My daughter's just an ally. Yeah, you know? Mm -hmm. One short month later, after having introduced her daughter to this, she posts in the group again. My daughter told me today she's a boy. And I'm worried, did I do something to plant this idea in her head? And immediately in the comments, she was sort of piled on by people saying, why are you referring to your son as she? <laughs> it was yeah, immediate. I mean, it, but it would depend on, again on like, uh, I mean, like, I, I would want to know where, where it went from there. Like, is it, mm -hmm. is it seriously just somebody saying like, can you use different pronouns or call me by a different name? Because I mean, I think about this, like somebody has a biological name, right? The name they're born with on their birth certificate. And they might ask you to refer to them as their nickname. There are people online who ask you to use an entirely different name. Yeah. So the like the idea of like changing names or dressing differently or even using different pronouns, I don't really see that as being like a big problem because at the end of the day, if they're not actually trans, right? Like what? Okay. So they just go back to not not having that name. Like there's no medical intervention. That that would be the concerning part of things is if there was some form of medical intervention happening, um, which again, wouldn't be possible if this person didn't have gender dysphoria. And again, if they did, that would have to be a persistent thing. It couldn't be like they had gender dysphoria for a week. So it's not exactly the same, I, I guess. I, I, I don't have I a problem the with the, story, I have but... a problem with name changes, by the way. I mean, as I said, I'm someone, I know lots of people go by nicknames um i've gone by a nickname my whole life uh, and i also have friends i have a, a friend from korea who's changed her name four times as she went through the green card process and kept deciding no i like i think for a while she was Wenny because she really liked the wonder years and mm -hmm. now and then and then she really fell in love with a, a different uh movie star but anyway the point being i've known her by four names when she finally got her green card it was a different name i don't care about that but as a parent who is immediately using the opposite sex pronouns, that might be where you and I disagree. I don't think it's good to immediately start saying he for your four-year-old daughter and him. And I, th I think because what you're doing with that quote unquote validation is you're enforcing and you're, you're giving approval and you're saying this must be true. And I would say, no, let's wait. And I'm going to, we're going to do therapy and we're going to figure this out before I immediately push you down this path. Cause then there's well, also, if they we're going to get diagnosed. They should absolutely go to therapy. 
Um, again, like there, there wouldn't be any type of medical intervention. People are asking what I mean when I say medical intervention. Um, the, the medical intervention, I just mean puberty blockers. Um, and then of course, anything more than that, uh, is really not supposed to even take place, especially nothing like a permanent surgery should ever take place before the age of 18. Um, so uh, the way that I see it is like, why not just play it safe? Because here's what we know. We know that gender dysphoria is a real thing. We also know that using someone's different names or pronouns has no permanent long-lasting effect on them. But what we do know is that if you refuse to validate somebody who is trans, and again, by validate, I don't mean take them to get a surgery. I mean, validate them, just pronouns, their name or whatever. Then you raise the likelihood of them committing suicide. That is just a fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is when trans people are accepted by their parents, their likelihood of committing suicide decreases by a staggering amount. Um, so the way that I like to, to play it is why, why do it that way? Why not be better safe than sorry? Well, I actually, my opinion is the same in terms of why not play it safe. What's different is we have different definitions of what's playing it safe. Cause I, why not play it safe and not immediately validate well, because of not, the great immediately validate. What, what's the whole well, in the case of that? of that woman, for example, who immediately is being told, call your four-year-old he, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's potentially very harmful for the child, much more harmful than waiting and trying to figure out if this is a phase, something the kid picked up from you, something the kid picked up from social group or school or like, I would rather wait. I don't think, I don't think you're doing, because what if you're pushing that kid down a path of they're trying to please parent and parent has already introduced this idea to them. Mm -hmm. And and you get down that that rabbit hole then of them not wanting to disappoint. Some of the detransitioner stories I've seen are girls who are saying, um, it was so hard for me to detransition because uh, I had I had invested so much into this, the whole sunken cost thing, right? Where you've gotten your whole friends and family on board. Um, in some cases you've become sort of a poster child for, if you have like a, a, a parent who's really into, um, publicly doing posts where their identity becomes wrapped around being the parent of a trans kid, you know, you've got all these different people invested and you've made a big deal out of it. And maybe in some cases it was hard one to get them to support you. And then to say, I made a mistake how hard that is because you're down so far down that path. And, and one of the girls I talked to actually interviewed someone a year or two ago, Helena. And she, she said in her case, it wasn't just that she had invested so much. It was also that when she started talking to her therapist about how she thought she was wrong and she wanted to detransition, her therapist discouraged her. Her therapist said, no, this is, this is, this is the phase, <laughs> you that's know, the problem, though, is like that, and that's, yeah, although it is anecdotal and I'm not just going to like write it off and hand wave it as anecdotal, that would be a complete violation. Like the, the, if the therapist is uh, encouraging them to be any form of an identity that they are not, even if they're saying they're not trans, they think that they're actually just cis like everybody else or, or like the general public, then if the therapist encourages them to pursue some kind of a treatment still, that would be a massive violation. Um, and, and that therapist should be fired immediately. Like if that, wow. if that story is true, yeah. they should absolutely be fired immediately. But the, the problem is, is that again, I don't know where, why you would not just play it safe in regards to, if you have a child who's like 
nine or 10, right? Like, let me just read this quick blurb here. This comes from the endocrine society. So this isn't like a lefty woke, uh, you know, buzzfeed.com here. This is a very respected medical institution it says for a child who has not yet reached puberty, trans health experts recommend seeking mental health support. So they should absolutely be going to therapy uh, because even prior to disclosing a gender identity that is different than the one they were assigned at birth. I kind of hate that term. Trans youth can experience symptoms, including depression, social isolation, and suicidal ideation. While medical guidelines advise that prepubescent children do not undergo hormone interventions, they state that allowing trans youth to socially transition, which can include taking on a new name and wearing different style of clothes, can greatly benefit a child. So for me, I, I would say, if this is nothing permanent, and this is even what the medical experts are, are, are suggesting, why would I not want to play this safe? Well, What's again, I, I do want to play it safe. Again, we have different definitions of what that means. So yeah, but, this but is sort your, of like, your problem but, is that you're worried that not playing it or your version of playing it safe is don't validate them where that has the a far greater likelihood of leading to a harm. I, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe we know all the, all the harms of immediately validating children because we're currently doing it. We don't have all these longitudinal studies yet of what this is going to do to kids. And this may be controversial, but I kind of think the same thing about masking kids and not just masking kids, but having them spend two years for very small kids seeing, seeing adults, seeing everyone around them in masks. We don't know all of the repercussions yet. And in that way, I think we're kind of using a whole generation of kids as guinea pigs to see what happens if you immediately tell them, can I ask you this? If, if, if a kid came to you, that mom, by the way, the one who I was talking about, I'll send you this article so you can read it later. Mm -hmm. But that mom who's, who, you know, gave her kid the book was like, no, my daughter's not trans. She's just a good ally. And then a month later, it's like, oh, well now my daughter says she's a boy in the comments. The article did follow the post to see what happened over a period of time. And the mom was sort of arguing, but also acquiescing, I would say, to some of the commenters. But one of the things she said to them is, well, I also gave her a book about, you know, she also just came to me and said she's black. And, and I had given her a book about diversity and race and, and stuff. And I'm not going to validate that, right? And, and so my question to you is, I guess, if a kid came to you and said they were they were a different race than they were. Would you immediately say, well, yes, you are black. And, and do you No, because uh, although the way in which we categorize race it is like, those are socially constructed categories. Uh, I don't think that the ability to just identify with a race is anywhere comparable to the ability to identify with a gender. Even furthermore, there's no evidence that uh, the refusal to validate something like that leads to any tangible harm where we have the opposite when it comes to the, the gender thing. Now, in this specific example, I'm not going to lie. If what you're telling me is true, that sounds like a pretty impressionable young girl that read some books and got some ideas in her head and decided to run with it. But is it also not possible that for some people, maybe not that specific example, but for some right. people, they read a book like this and they realize, holy shit, that's what I've been experiencing. That is what I've been feeling, and this is finally putting it into words, what I was experiencing. Like, yes, I, I do me, think like, that's... Oh, sorry. I, I do just think wanna, that's possible. Sorry, let me just throw in a quick anecdote. Um, so, like, I struggle with OCD, obsessive compulsion disorder, and um, it wasn't until I was much older that I realized there was a whole other level of 
OCD, which included like intrusive thoughts led by a lot of anxiety mm. and compulsions and whatnot. And it wasn't until somebody mentioned something actually at work that I looked it up and I started reading it and I was like, holy shit, this is exactly what I've been dealing with. So I, it's conceivable that maybe somebody is reading a book or learning about these concepts and they, that actually does apply to them. Like, I is agree. that also possible? Yes, of course. I agree. That's possible. I just think there's a higher, and, and this is maybe the root of our disagreement again, is I think there's a much higher incidence of people being, being impressionable and sort of identifying with something that may not be their root problem, but it's trendy and you're going to get immediate support and validation by saying, this is the issue. This is the root of my issue. Like, like if you're a girl and you're tomboyish and you don't, um, you know, you don't fit in with, with the society's idea of like the correct way to be a girl to, to, to discover, and maybe you have other, other, other underlying issues. Maybe you're, you have autism or maybe I mean, there's the problems. Though, exactly. Fine. But I think a lot of the therapists, therapists have been corrupted. I mean, there's a, there's a therapist. You should actually talk to this guy. I don't guy. know. I, I think I'm going to um, have to push back on this a little bit because although okay, it is but, true that some therapists don't do their job well, and sure, there might, of course, there is such a thing as a corrupted therapist. This idea that like they're all corrupted is just, I don't think there's a level of all corrupted, but I think a lot of them are. The majority of them are corrupted. I, I think I might think the majority of them are. That's what I, I can't, I can't get okay. behind that because <laughs> like therapists are required by law to be abiding by certain standards. And if the endocrine society is saying that these people need to be seeking mental health support from a therapist, then that process also would include the snuffing out of maybe there is another issue here. Maybe you are autistic and, and you don't quite understand what it means to have an internal perception of yourself a certain way in right. regards to they gender. They should be doing that. Yes. But I that's, agree. That is what happens, at least according based on what I, my understanding here. And I know that there are scary stories about the opposite happening, but for every story you have of somebody who said, my therapist, they, they didn't even ask any questions. They just instantly started pumping me full of irreversible drugs. There are dozens of stories from people that say, I've been suffering from gender dysphoria for years on end. And no matter what I do, I'm not able to get a diagnosis from my therapist. So I hear you. Uh, I, I, I disagree, but I hear you. I just, uh, I just shared with you that article. If you want to read it later, I'll put it in the chat too. I was wrong. Apologies. It was a seven-year-old, not a four-year-old. There's a lot of them I've been reading, but anyway, there you go. Um, but, but that's for later. I, can I, can I just share with you, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't. I, I interviewed this therapist recently, Jake Whiskershin. Mm -hmm. It's spelled like Whiskerchin. That's how you remember it. Uh, Whiskershin, Whiskershin, that's how you say it. Anyway, one of the things he was telling me about is that therapists are now, he's a therapist, he's like, we are told now by the APA that not only should we validate what the child is saying or what the person is saying who comes in for treatment, when it comes to gender identity, but that we need to validate whatever diagnosis they're saying. So for example, he was saying, if you have a patient who is displaying characteristics of, let's say, borderline personality disorder, and you start to broach the subject with them that this might be your diagnosis, and they say, well, I don't like that diagnosis. No, I'm here for depression. I want you to treat me for depression. That they're now being encouraged to validate that own like that self-diagnosis 
Have you heard I this? I would have to. I have not heard that. I'm trying okay. to look it up actually right now. APA therapists validate any mental illness. Um, <laughs> I don't again, know if, like, find if that, that way, were but... the case, like yeah. this would be a gross overstep of the whole point. Maybe I'm, uh, people are pointing out a good, actually made a good point in, in your chat. I think I might be conflating therapists and psychologists a little bit. But again, psychologists also are there to act as a therapist. The only difference is they have the power to also diagnose and prescribe. Um, so if that were actually the case, then that would be, that would just be way over the top. I'm, I'm, I'm well, going to look into it. Yeah. I don't you know see what, anything though? right if now. You, I'm looking, I'm looking for it and I, I don't see. If you ever want to talk to him, I'll introduce you because you guys might have a very interesting conversation. Um, but, uh, also kudos for being able to follow my chat. I'm too, I'm focusing too much on listening to you and I can't. <laughs> I'm the kind of person, I can't do a phone call when I'm driving or I'll go the wrong way. So I'm kind of like that with this conversation. I'm like, I can't look over there right now. I'll get distracted. But um, anyway. Um, okay. Well, we kind of went down, we went down this uh, trans rabbit hole for a while. And we, I think we identified some of the places we agree, which may, it, it surprised me. We agree on more, more than I thought we would. And then the places where we disagree. Um can I ask you about one of the things you said when you started change your views, you said back when, when you were younger and you did this, you, you talked a lot about cultural issues and I, I do as well. Uh, I have a certain opinion about BLM um, that you may not share. I don't think that they're sincerely trying to do anything for black people. I do think a lot of people who support them are a lot of the people who give money are a lot of the people who show up for the protests are, but I think the people who are leading it, the architects of, of pushing this, this organization, um, I just don't think they're, I don't think they're sincere and I don't think that they're actually constructive. I don't think they're doing anything positive. Mm -hmm. You probably disagree with all of that, but maybe you didn't used to. Can you tell me about your shifting opinions on BLM? Sure. Actually, I, I apologize for jumping back to this rabbit hole one more time. Oh, that's okay. I, I did find something that seems to contradict the story that that guy told you because I have an APA document here from 2021 giving the guidelines of mm -hmm. guidelines for psychologists. And it says psychologists are mindful of the principles and importance of evidence-based practice. Psychologists strive to maintain and enhance their knowledge of the research. Psychologists endeavor to conduct assessments that are appropriate for the setting. So, I mean, these are just three of the guidelines thus far. There are 10 of them entirely. And um, none of these say anything in regards. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong page. So I, I would be more than happy to see uh, what that guy was talking about. But nothing here has anything to do with like, you must validate this person. In fact, it seems to be the opposite. They're talking about conducting assessments and being mindful of evidence-based practice, which would mean that if somebody came in and just said, I, I'm depressed, so now start giving me depression meds that would be completely against the APA guidelines. Okay. So I, I could be, maybe I'm reading the, the uh, wrong page, but this is what it, it appears to, uh, to be, at least according to last year. Well, feel free to drop that in the chat for people to read. Um, okay. But I do think you should talk to him because I'm not the person to, this is something uh, he was telling me about during an interview. So I'm not really the person, that's not my field of expertise and I'm not prepared to say, here's where you can find what it is he's talking about. So yeah, and I, like I said, I could very easily also be wrong because I mean, this is just the the guidelines I found. Uh, APA guidelines on evidence based psych psychological practice in healthcare. Oh, so cool. Here. But um, um, sorry, I could so tell me about your evolution of ideas when it comes to 
your opinion about BLM. Yeah. So it's kind of like there, there, I know I keep like, it's probably kind of cringy that I'm always like, oh, there's multi layers here. But like, there is such a thing as like the BLM company or the organization like BLM Incorporated. Um, and I don't really follow much of that organization. The only thing that I know is that they seem to be honestly really scummy. And uh, I, I heard briefly about that controversy with the one lady using the donations to apparently purchase a house. I haven't looked into that anymore, I think, so I could be wrong there. But I think it was five houses. I think was it five houses. Okay. Yeah. Either way, the the company in and of itself, I I don't support that at all. I, I haven't done really very much research into it because I just mostly just write it off as as being kind of irrelevant. Um, what I what I do support is the BLM movement. So when we had the issue with George Floyd, for example, you saw millions of Americans out on the streets protesting and marching for a cause that some of them believed in. There were probably some that didn't really know what they were doing there. But that I do support because I think that at the end of the day, the movement of BLM is trying to bring attention to a very real issue right now that is affecting uh, black people disproportionately. And that is this issue of systemic racism, um, the, the problems with certain social systems or institutions in place that although there's no malintent, they deliver results that are disproportionately and negatively affecting black people. Um, so that, that too is kind of a complicated one, but that's like a very real issue that, that I, I can appreciate that BLM tried to, in some instances, excuse me, tried to, in some instances, to bring attention to those, those problems. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is the, the rioting and the uh, looting is uh, like completely fucked up. I, I've already said that Anybody that's rioting or looting is like a huge piece of shit and that people totally have the right to defend their private property with even with lethal force against rioters or looters or anyone that has malintent in order to, uh, you know, burn down their business or something. I agree with you on that last point. And actually, there was uh, I don't know how deep you are into the knitting world on Instagram, Hunter. But um, there, really. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> but there's been a lot of what I call the social justice wars happening in that community over the past few years. And uh, recently there's a guy named uh, Neil James who I've talked to. He, he does a magazine called blocked magazine and he's very anti woke and kind of highlights some of the, the different social justice knitters and the things that they're saying. And he mm -hmm. posted a video of this woman. She's very well known in the social justice knitting world. And she was saying on camera that White men need to stop rioting and looting when their favorite team doesn't win and that if they don't know how to uh, express themselves without violence and destroying property, that they need to take up a hobby. And, and then she had a caveat and she said, but not black people. When we do it, when black and brown people riot and destroy property, it's sacred. And now, uh, who said that? Uh, I can't remember her name, but it was it, it's on the United Kingdom Instagram. If anyone wants to find it, maybe somebody in chat. There's a bunch of knitters in chat. They can they can find it. And that tell sounds me who like it is. the complete type of uh, thing that I would make fun of here on this. Channel. Okay, <laughs> okay. So we're in agreement that that's that's silly. I think, and and for me, that's the epitome of, in my opinion, a lot of social justice. The old ideology I was in. I came to understand that they were telling me that the way to end racism and sexism was to start 
judging and treating people differently on the basis of race and sex, like to have different rules about behavior and, um, and different rules about uh, the importance of what someone is saying based on what the race or sex was. And, right. and so that, that became one of the things that, you know, it took me 20 years to see that, <laughs> mm -hmm. that that's what was happening because in my sort of case, the, uh, the identity politics sort of thing. Right. But also that on a very fundamental level, they were, they were getting me to start treating diff people differently on the basis of race. I, I remember in, in one of the social justice groups I was in there, there, which was a lot of white women. There, there was one white woman who was saying, she's like, you guys give me some advice. How do I make friends with black women? I, this one black woman moved to my town and I, I want to ask her where she's from, but I know that's a microaggression. And uh, I would ask her that. And it was like, lady, just treat her like you would a white lady. What is wrong with you? But I, I came to understand that what is wrong with her is that social justice is telling her that she needs to treat this black woman like a black woman, which means treating her differently like having different rules don't ask certain questions be really precious around it you know and, it, and it's like mm -hmm. i that know would be what we call over here the woke scolds the woke scolds what the do you mean? woke scolds so that there is the like i'm more of a liberal and okay. then there's the far lefty types that are the commies and the socialists uh the neo pronoun people and uh they would be considered the woke scolds in this case like they're scolding you for not being woke enough so okay. those types of people, like I mock those people almost every single day. Okay, um, that's interesting. So you're not woke. I mean, I, the thing is, is woke has lost virtually all meaning at this point. Now I've seen people say that uh, certain forms of media are woke because they have like a three second lesbian kiss in it. Like what happened with Lightyear or because mm -hmm. there's a black person in it. Suddenly now this is woke. Um, it would really just depend on what is actually considered woke at this point, which. Right. Seems... Well, like a lot of words, I think we we're at a point where we have to define what we mean. Like when I ask you, what does validate mean? Or, you know, what do you mean when you say social Democrat? I mean, I'm at that place where Hunter, I still describe myself as liberal. And I know that many, many people, including yourself, probably don't see me as a liberal. So I have to define what I mean by that. And, and I ask conservatives, like, what, it, what does it mean? What does conservative mean? We're in a place where words are losing all meaning, which I think is, I think is intentional. I think, I think we're getting to a place where um, it's hard to have conversations or even have a conversation like this because we don't have any common definitions are, anymore. Yeah, but a lot of the words that are meaning losing meaning, I know people are going to bring up the, the definition of a woman or something, but uh, I mean, other than that, it seems to be way more common on the the right wing side of things. I mean, what do you now mean? every everybody's a groomer, everything is woke, everything is communism. Um, it seems to be way more common on the the right wing actually than I than I've seen on the the left wing. Um, and this is a bit of a caveat, but I just wanted to really quickly point out because um, I'm in agreement with you that identity politics are really cringe. You know, this I have these politics, or you need to listen to me because of my race, race or because or of my identity in any way. Yeah. Um, but like, even right now, there are people in your chat doing just that. They're saying, I'm black and I never experienced systemic racism. Like, I don't care because whether or not you are black should not hold weight as to whether or not systemic racism is actually a problem. So like a lot of the times I see conservatives sort of falling into the same trap. Like how many times have you heard Candace Owens say things like, 
you know, I can't be racist. I'm a black woman. Or how could I be a neo-Nazi? I'm Jewish. Like you, you hear these things a lot. And that is identity politics. That is suggesting that based on your identity, you must hold certain beliefs or you must not hold certain beliefs. I have, uh, I agree with you to a point. Here's where I disagree. And th this, I had this thought, this was a year or two ago when somebody was saying to me, um, who would you trust more about a pregnancy, a male doctor or a female midwife? And, and there was this whole idea of like, see, see, for me, I'm not saying that your identity or what social justice people call lived experience doesn't matter at all. What right. they call lived experience, it does. And, and somebody's experience with something, their anecdotes, their stories, that does matter to me. And I weigh it with a bunch of other things. <laughs> I weigh right. it with what evidence they provide. Someone like you, who, who has a lot of statistics that you provide. A person's identity for social justice people that seems to be a lot of times the be all end all where it's mm -hmm. like, if I am black, then what I say is truth and li my lived experience. Or if I am a woman, then what I say about sexism is true and it's my lived experience and you can't argue with it. And mm -hmm. I reject that right out of the gate. It's like, right. I'm willing it's, to listen like, to, sorry, go ahead. Right. But I'm willing to listen to what you call your experience, your anecdotes, your stories, right? Like mm -hmm. you should, I hope you're willing to listen to mine and, Assume that I'm sincere until you have reason to believe I'm not. But um, but I'm also going to take into account like if if your your expertise, if you are a doctor, if you are you know, and you're speaking on something medical, like like the therapist I interviewed, I I'm going to take his opinions. Uh, I'm going to weigh them a little more heavily because of his background and his expertise. Um, and him being a man is not really going to come into play for me very much on what he's saying. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is so, like the, the lived experiences do play a role. I mean, we're talking about our own experiences right now. Right. So like if somebody is to say something like, Hey, I'm black and I've never experienced systemic racism that in and of itself. Cool. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that you haven't experienced that. The problem is when you say I'm black, I've never experienced systemic racism. So systemic racism is bullshit. That's when you lose me because the personal anecdote doesn't trump the actual data. But in a minute, we should actually talk about systemic racism because there's a lot of misunderstandings about that concept. Okay, we can talk about it. We were going we were going in that direction anyway. I did see one thing scroll by. Hold on. Oh, wait, that's not the right one. Ah, <laughs> hold on. Somebody said, oh, don't white supremacists have to be white? Oh, that you, they asked me that question? Yeah. Uh, I mean... <laughs> You would definitely expect that for sure. But I mean, this is why I bring up the fact that there were Jewish Nazis during um, during World War II. Like, it doesn't make sense, sure, for somebody to be black and be part of the, like a white supremacist, but they exist. They absolutely do. If you've ever heard of Jesse Lee Peterson, um, you can listen to that guy talk. He's a black dude, and he will tell you in a heartbeat that black people are uh, pretty gross, irresponsible, that white people are definitely superior, that white people are genetically smarter than black people. Uh, I believe that. I don't know if he's gone that far or not, but usually he's heavily suggesting it. So, I mean, that could definitely be a thing that exists. But generally speaking, like, no, you'd probably expect the white supremacist to be a white person as well. Um, the thing is, is that, like, you can still hold so certain white supremacist beliefs and not be a white person. Um 
But yeah, as that's kind of a funny question. I feel like the person probably was asking that a little bit in bad faith, but still pretty funny. I know. Um, I think that's a genuine question people have. Okay, um, yeah. I like your answer. I think it's, I think it's very rare. <laughs> I do think it's, very rare. I think it's funny when, with the left will call people like, uh, what's his name? He was running Larry Elder. They called him the black face of white supremacy, which I just think is absurd. And yeah, there, you know, it's funny you, you say that because I actually have been recently in a feud with the far more woke scold side of the, the lefties. Um, and I'm getting called a Nazi and a reactionary and a conservative. And people will say things like, you know, it's funny because I'll have one side of, of the, the political side saying Hunter's a grifter. He doesn't really believe anything he says. He's just changing his mind for money which doesn't even make sense because I lost a ton of views and subscribers. So there was no potential to make more money by leaving the main political beliefs that built my channel. Like that just doesn't make sense. Uh, if my goal was to just acquire more money or fame somehow. Uh, and then you have people on the complete other side that say Hunter never changed. He's exactly the same as he used to be. He's still a conservative. People call me alt-right, uh, white national. Actually, no, I haven't got white nationalist yet, but I've got alt-right transphobia. Um, uh, Nazi, uh, Hitler Avalone. That was one of them. So like there, there's just, I've, well, I've, I get called transphobe. And as I said before, trans enabling Pharisee. So I understand what you're saying. There's going to be yeah. people and people, I don't know, people will think what they want. And if they think the wrong thing about you, I think that's a death of the ego that you have to maybe experience many times before you get used to it. So every time you think you've conquered a problem or something, you're like, Oh, that's so I've come so far. Look at me. I don't, I don't care if people think the wrong thing about me. And then, and then you'll go through another experience like that where you're learning the same lesson again. <laughs> it's like, right. it doesn't matter. Right. Until you, a lot of it's just, there's more to go. There's further for you to go and get stronger in whatever that area is. Right. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, part of just doing anything on the internet or, or, doing like podcasts or streams like I do and like you do, it's literally just comes along with the the understanding that there are going to be people that no matter what you say or do, they will never be content. Like, I, I mean, I can, I, I, even right now, like I'm, I'm up here explaining how by the definition of the word grifter, I cannot meet that definition, but that's not going to be good enough. I'm going to always be a grifter to some people. And similarly, I'm always going to be a, a white supremacist, neo-Nazi Hitler sympathizer from people on the, the far left. Like that's just kind of how it goes. It's unfortunate, but it definitely is how it goes. Yeah. Can I ask you a question before we get into systemic racism? Yeah. And then you after said systemic racism, I, uh, I'll probably be heading out from there. Yeah, me too. I have, I have about a two hour timeline on my bladder and we're hitting it. Um, so you, you, you said to me when you were messaging me about the possibility of us talking that you're also that it would be interesting because we've had these sort of different trajectories when it comes to right left, which I don't even really believe in right left very much anymore, in my opinion. But mm -hmm. um, you also mentioned you're atheist and yeah. I'm a pretty new Christian. Have you always been atheist? No. So it's funny because I'm, I'm maybe we can talk about Christianity instead of systemic racism if you want. But um, uh, no, I, I have not always been a uh, an atheist. In fact, I was raised very heavily Christian. Um, I mean, uh, my best friend was at church. Uh, even my wife, I actually met her at church when oh, we wow. were much younger. We met when we were younger, both Christians going to church and then- At know, an ice up. cream social. Not, not quite, but it was, at, you know, Sunday <laughs> service or whatever. And then she went, went off to college. I went off and did my thing. And then we later met up again. But 
a lot of the friendships that I have to this day came from church. So, I mean, I was really, really heavily immersed in this sort of Christian environment. Um, what kind of denomination? Usually I, I, I was just told that I was like non-denominational. Oh yeah. That's what I think. I, I, I'm non-denominational. I think. Yeah. It, it was, it, it was very much um, a very heavy focus on, you know, God's grace and God's forgiveness. Um, Jesus died as the ultimate sacrifice. I guess those are pretty common sta standard aspects of Christianity in general. And where but... did you grow up in the South or the North? East I grew up what? in Maryland. In Maryland. Okay. Yeah. And so when did you start, when did you become an atheist and what, what was that, what led you to the conclusion that there is no God? Well, that's the uh, common confusion actually. And there are definitely people who would be considered, I think like um, uh, strong atheists who would say there is no God. For me, I don't make a positive claim. Like I would never claim that there is no God. Because mm -hmm. the proposition of God is, by definition, unfalsifiable. You mm -hmm. cannot actually prove that there is no God. For me, I just don't see enough evidence to rationally or feel rationally justified in believing there is a God. So if something changes, then I will believe that there is a God. But as of right now, the evidence that is usually presented um, is not sufficient along the lines of or as well as the the entire philosophy of Christianity, I find a lot of issues with that now Now that I'm kind of out of that and I look back at it. I, I see a lot of inconsistencies. Like what? Um, like a, the, a great question is, why does God not reveal himself? Because if, according to Christianity, God wants us to have a personal relationship with him. And yet, if we don't believe in him, then we will be condemned to eternity in hell, which that also is unjust um then why would he not make himself known or at least give some kind of a, a form of evidence to rationally believe that a god exists i love this kind of conversation so bear with me here's what i think uh i'll try to make i'll try to articulate it well i may not i may stumble anyway i think god does give us evidence but and that's why sometimes if i'm praying for someone especially if I know they're going through a hard time and they don't believe in God. Um, I, I will pray for them that God speaks to them in the language that they can hear. And it's not always the same. Like I know some people who uh, very, well, I know one person who says their experience of God was that they heard an audible voice. That's amazing. I can't even imagine that didn't happen to me. <laughs> I've never heard an audible voice. Maybe that's what it took for that person. Um, for other people, it might be music or it might be uh, it, the way in which I think God speaks to me is sort of a, with a sense of humor, coincidences, things that happen. And it, it's, it's hard for me to put it in words, but, but that's why I'm sort of like, I think that God is capable of reaching people in, in different ways, depending on what's going to be likely for them to open their eyes or open their ears and, 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 and see him, if that makes sense. Yeah, and but, but this I can't is sort prove of my this. Problem, actually, this um, kind of falls right back into my problem. Right, with this. but you you're asking why not come out like down from the heavens and be like, I am real. Believe because not, not even necessarily. Oh, okay. I, I mean, it just seems like the examples you gave me, like there's no way of actually demonstrating or proving in any way that that was actually from God. Why could it not be that if you have a conversation with a friend who says? I'm really nervous about my job interview. And then you go home and you pray for that person and then they get the job, which is like a 50, 50 chance anyway. 
we don't like we don't know that that's God. That could very easily have just been a coincidence. And, well, and also I think that that's kind of dangerous if you um, to pray for things that you want in a sort of like Santa Claus in a way, like because you you're not. I don't think I'm the best judge of what I what's going to be good for me. <laughs> I learned this the hard way. <laughs> and so my prayers are more kind of open-ended, like, like God, I would like to have a child if it's within your will. Mm -hmm. And if it's not within your will, just be patient with me and help me understand why it's not. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think a lot of times people, when I was younger, um, I was raised in the church. I, when I was young and I, I kind of walked away from God when I was 16. And I guess I described myself as agnostic most of the time, but I know, I know even adults who would tell me, Oh, the, I, I pray and I, I pray for things from, for myself. Right. And it's like, that's kind of dangerous because you might get a bunch of no's. Maybe you don't get that job. Right. And, and you're like, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? I pray for the job. And I kind of view God as being like, don't just, Look, on the other side of that no, there's some beautiful yes that you have no idea. You can't even imagine. Do you know how many times I've had a no in my life from God where it's like, like there was this one guy I was dating briefly before I met my husband and I thought, this is it. How rare that I met a Christian man who agrees with me on so many things and I had just become a Christian. I was like, oh, it's going to be hard to date as a Christian now. You go into a date being like, hey, I don't want to have sex, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like sure. and so anyway i met this guy i'm like oh it's meant to be and then he moved away after like two dates and we were still talking but i was like oh man god what i was so upset god why'd you give me a no i couldn't even fathom why he gave me a no i now i understand do you know what i mean because i yeah, met my husband problem though is like yeah people, people meet people who they really like and who are very similar to them and then that doesn't work out. And then they eventually meet somebody else that it does work out like that. That's the problem is it seems as though everything that is attributed to God could also be uh, uh, attributed to some kind of a natural explanation or, or a, a coincidence or just the way things are in life. Like we know in life that people start relationships. We know that relationships have ended. And we also know that even after painful relationships end, or after painful endings of relationships, uh, you can meet somebody else who might actually end up being even better. Now you, you've you've even technically refined what you're looking for in somebody because you had that experience, and now you have an even better understanding. Mm -hmm. So, like, so that's the thing though is there's there is a natural explanation, and I really quick want to address something yeah, yeah. in your chat because okay, two things is one somebody said that um. God, why haven't you just done this thing for me? That was not the point that I was trying to make. No, no, that was the point I was making with people who pray that. I, I don't think that person was talking about you. Like, right. like I was saying, a lot of people treat prayer like that. Like, I want this job. And then like, why didn't you give me that job? Right? Like, that's not, I was saying, I don't think that, I don't think that's a, I think there's some issues with praying that way. And rather than saying, help me to understand why the answer is a no. Right? Right, right, right. And I mean, I'm seeing people that the last thing I'm not going to be over here, just <laughs> responding to your okay. chat. I'm sorry, but I'm um, sorry. I'm trying to find it. No, it's okay. Somebody also said like, yeah, that's, this is why we have faith. There yeah. is not a single position that you cannot take on faith. So if we sat down here and started having the trans talk and I just said, well, I have faith that the medical professionals are going to do their job, or I have faith that that person really is trans. 
I mean, you could even go an even worse route. I have faith that white people are superior to black people. There is not a single position that could not be uh, justified by faith, which is why I find this notion of faith is almost worthless in regards to actually coming to truth because you can have faith in anything. I agree. I think you can have faith in anything. And I, I believe that we were, well, I've come to believe recently that we were probably designed to worship and to have faith. And that's why you see us humans creating so many different faith systems and putting faith in things like the government or the medical establishment or people, other people or our but career. Some of that is actually faith. Like, th so for example, like people will say that to me, they'll be like, oh yeah, but you, you have faith in the medical institution. Uh, no, I don't have, I don't have faith. I have evidence that the medical institutions have consistently delivered the best possible results based on the best possible research available at the time. So of course they've made mistakes, but this is why people will say, I guess even broader, I should broaden this to just science. People say like, you have faith in science. No, I trust that science is going to deliver an adequate answer because it has done so thus far. And the, uh, only, thing that, and the only thing that corrects science is more science. There's Correct. never been a scientific claim that was suddenly refuted by a claim of God or the supernatural. Um, and then so so that's that's kind of my problem is like there are a lot of experiences that people have. My parents, mind you, are still like extremely strong Christians that people are attributing to God. But there's no actual evidence that that is actually God. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. lastly, somebody in chat said yeah. if God revealed himself. That would affect free will. Uh, not even close considering the fact that satan saw god and then became satan and was able to rebel so this notion that if god even revealed himself we would all be like con compelled to follow him i can tell you growing up in the church there are plenty of people that are already compelled to follow god so just to answer to that person in chat sorry that's that's the end of it. no wait wait i'm trying to uh jump back a couple of sentences so because there was something i wanted to say to you about uh well about faith i kind of agree with the person that that said um if God were to reveal himself completely, it's like, then you're not learning what that exercise of faith and trust in God is about. I sort of think that is, and I know it's going to sound just as cliche as some of the words you said might sound cliche, but it is a journey for me. It's like a, a, a practice or an exercise learning to grow faith and trust. Um, mm -hmm. And I know to any, and I have plenty of atheists who watch my show and they're usually very tolerant. They may be losing their patience with me right now, <laughs> but um the 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 way that I, I view it is it's sort of a I'm having to learn to grow to trust God more every day, even when I think my all of my, my human perception is saying, this is awful, this thing that just happened, what could possibly come from this? But I have to trust that there's on the other side of it. And and I would say, like with science. God has given me that evidence when I need it. Those times I've asked for it and shown me, here's the good that, here's the yes that came on the other side of that no, or the good thing that came out of that bad thing, right? And as long as you're growing in God and you're you're trying to walk the way in which Jesus walked, you're trying to and you're failing and then you're picking yourself back up and trying again, then I think that you're, it's what that Bible verse is about, about um, in all thy ways, acknowledge him and and he will direct thy path. If you, if you continue to walk that path, he's got you on the other side of it. And I can point to people who don't walk that path. Here's a great example. I went down, I watch a lot of my spare time. I like to watch true crime. 
I was watching a video the other day about a uh, Josh Duggar. He's the guy in the Duggar family, the 19 kids um, yep. on I'm TLC. Familiar with the okay. whole issue. Okay. So he just got convicted of child pornography, all this stuff. This is after, if you, if you watch what happened with him, he, he had molested several of his sisters uh, and he comes from a Christian family and they built their whole show around being Christian and, and what it was they believed. Right. So he molested a bunch of sisters and another girl in the early 2000s the family mm. kind of hid that from the tv show producers they got this show it became very popular then the news came out much later that he had done this that he had molested his sisters and he issued an apology where he was sort of like i'm sorry i did this but it was so long ago. it was sort of this like you know it's in my past and i'm a different person now and think i'm thankful for god's grace and and that you know forgiveness and i'm i'm the man i am today because of god and i've grown he was sort of that's in the past. I'm living the right way now. Then come to find out just a few short months later or something, dude was lying even when he said that. He was hiding the fact that he was on websites trying to have affairs yep. on his wife and cheating on his wife. And so then he had to issue another apology where he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I hurt my wife. And I'm so grateful she's standing beside me. I'm grateful for God for forgiving me. Da, 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 da. Same apology. And it's like, dude, but you just did that while you were still living in duplicity and lies. And right. so, I, I, and then it comes out later. He's like, even after the second apology, he's child porn, child porn, disgusting, like the worst child porn on the internet convicted yeah. of it. Um, my point in bringing that guy up is that's not the path. And you know what? That guy is probably sitting Every time something's revealed about him being a liar, he's probably like, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you letting me be publicly humiliated like this? And it's like, dude, because you're not on the right path. And any one of these humi public humiliations is an opportunity for you to turn around and get on the right path. And you're not taking it. But I don't know how, like, it, of course, it's not the right path. That can be fully determined via secular means. Right. So it's not a good path to have child porn uh, or to cheat on right. your wife or to molest people like you're going to end up going to jail doing those things. We have even laws in place at that point that that pretty much established that like, hey, you're on the wrong path, buddy. And that's kind of the the same problem that I have is like I understand why there are a lot of people that attribute certain things to God. But at the same time, it can also be attributed to something else. So how do I know? that it's actually from God because that's, that's if right. I'm supposed I to believe that. in God or else he's going to send me to hell for all of eternity, then why is it that when I try to take the approach that I do, which is more of a, a sort of scientific approach or, or how can I rationally be justified in this belief? Um, I, I'm not able to come to that conclusion. And there are a lot of people so, that are not able to come to that conclusion. Oh, I, I understand that. Yeah. I, I, one, I know you have to go soon. Just, Quick question. What what do you think of what do you think hell is? I mean, I know it sounds like I mean you're not you don't believe it even exists, but when you say God will send us to hell, like I mean it would depend fully on on I guess your individual perception at, at this point because because I don't know what it is, but I think it might just be that you're permanently, eternally separated from God. Like like I've I found God, I don't know how you I didn't actually hear the story because we went down this thing about faith, but I don't know how it was that you came to like lose your belief. I gained my belief because I became, I became obsessed with figuring out whether or not we have a soul, like something that's eternal. Like, and I, and I think I ultimately realized we, 
I don't think that we're just a physical body and a computer brain. I think there's something more eternal there. And so then I've opened my mind to go to a spiritual center, which was the only place I would have gone at the time. I wouldn't have gone to a Christian church, you know? Mm. And, and so I was sort of trying to figure out what I, what I thought about all of this stuff. And I kind of think now that what, what if hell is just that eternal part of us? Cause I do believe in that. I recognize you may not. What if it's just eternal separation from God? Yeah, I've heard that argument too. I, I think that C.S. Lewis posited the idea that um, maybe hell will just be separation from God and where we're basically just given over to whatever desire we might have. Um, mm. it's like I've heard it described sort of as, as a, a similar to on earth, but even worse because everybody's just out for themselves kind of thing. Um, so I, I definitely think there are a lot of different perceptions and understandings in regards to hell, but it's it, regardless of whether it's like the fire and brimstone or just a really bad place where everybody's out for themselves. The problem that I have with that is the, the complete unjust uh, way in which God seems to go about doing this. And according to Christian theology, like God is just and he, he must be just. And logically he cannot be not just. Like he has to be just justice is like an intrinsic quality of the, the Christian God. But there are two different things with this is one. I don't like the idea of sending somebody to eternal punishment for finite sins or crimes. And second of all, God is not even like, what's the definition of justice, right? It's usually giving a punishment that fits the crime. That's not what hell and heaven is. It only hinges on belief. So you can have the rapist murderer sitting in prison cell. And before he's executed, he prays to God and genuinely becomes a Christian. He would go to heaven. Yet the firefighter who saves lives every single day and donates all of his money to charity simply doesn't believe in God. He would be doomed to hell. Like that is intrinsically unjust. I, I agree. My question would be being a true crime junkie. I would want to look up. I would want to look into the firefighter's life beyond just saving people's lives like what else does that guy go have going on because i'm starting to suspect and maybe i'm wrong but i'm starting to suspect that without god without something bigger than ourselves like a standard that's set from outside of ourselves that we're trying to hold that without it we wouldn't try to reach that and we would just give in to what we justify i'm starting to think that without that we probably make a lot of bad decisions in our lives and end up hurting a lot of people. Maybe that's not true. This is but just something I've started thinking now. about. The thing is we already do that now. Like, right. But can, are you talking about God providing this, this sort of like a uh, objective morality? Yes. Yes. Here, I'll give you a quick anecdote. I drove what well, I work at a lot of different gig jobs. I won't say what this gig job is, but I, I drive, a, I was driving my boss's van and I drove it through a car wash and it was way too big for the car wash. It was one of those gas station car washes and it totally destroyed the top of the van. And mm. I had to gun it like Scooby-Doo to get out of there. And then the top of the car wash fell off and, and I parked the van and I called my boss, told him what I did. I knew I was going to have to pay for it. But then I was like, there's no cameras here. And I really was like, Oh, this car wash probably has insurance. I don't need to tell them what I did. I, I was thinking this, I'm going to, I was justifying it. My little brain was working overtime about why it would be okay to drive away. I actually got in the van and started to drive away. And then I thought, but God knows. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, and I know, I know 
that I'm not living up to what I believe. And I can't live with that with him knowing that I did that. And I went inside and told him I broke your car wash. Here's my info. And my point is that's just a little silly anecdote, but I think that happens with people with much more serious things all the time. I've seen, I've seen friends who, who say that they worship reason, that that's at the top of their hierarchy. But I think at the end of the day, what you're doing there is you're just worshiping your own ability to reason. And if you can reason it out and justify it, the ends justify the means. And it's okay for you to lie to this person or backstab this person or hurt them I or cheat them. I wholly disagree with this, actually. There, you don't? I think that, yeah, I think that you can. So based on the available evidence that we have, of course, you know, it's pretty understood about evolution and whatnot. So for me, I think, well, it makes sense that we've evolved to be social creatures, um, because that is what, technically speaking, propagates the species at a very like primal level. Um, and then if you look across the board, there is like everything that is alive wants to remain alive, virtually everything. Of course, there's going to be people that are suicidal or, or something like that. But in virtually every instance, life wants to remain and is. It wants to remain life. I don't want to die. And I know that I could go over to virtually anybody and ask them and they would say, I don't want to die either. And I know if I could talk to the tiny uh, bacteria on everything, it too would not want to die. But yet we can, and, and with that, we can then gauge a moral foundation because life wants to remain and is, we ought to act in a way to continue life. Therefore, and from there we can then decide ourselves what is the best way forward to better human life and human well-being what is the best way that we can we can do this because that in my opinion is actually better because it, it gives you an actual foundation that you've come to on a rational basis so like oh yeah like a good, we definitely disagree okay like keep a going good example is a yeah. good example is like if you have two i i this is not my example okay but i, I heard this the other day and it was a great one if you have two kids and you take them to the restaurant and they both are misbehaving and uh, then you, you know, you have a talk with them when you get home, the one kid you say, hey, next time you uh, you misbehave or next time you you act nicely, I'm going to give you a reward. I'm going to reward you like here's a treat or something sort of supposed to be analogous to like you go to heaven if you continue to follow uh, God. And then the other child is told, hey, when you act inappropriately at the restaurant, you are disturbing other people around you. You're hurting their time and energy because they are paying to have a meal at this restaurant. And think about it. You probably wouldn't want to experience that from your end. You don't want people you know, messing around and screaming and being loud while you try to enjoy your food. So if you take them back to the restaurant and they both are well-behaved, well, which one is more moral? They both did the moral thing, but the one child actually has the, the rationale for why that morality makes sense and why it should be taken into account. Whereas the other one, as soon as that reward is gone, well, they have no incentive to be moral anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, I hear what you're saying. The, I think I do. The reward though is it's not like, um, I don't know. It's not like some wonderland where, you know, there's lollipops and, and unicorns it the it, it's not like you're going to be showered with gold although i do think that that god will bless you um if you're trying to walk the walk right but i think the reward is just living under his smile i don't i know that sounds cheesy i know i sound cheesy my no, point okay. is 
I, my point is I don't want in that moment where you make it, I did not want to disappoint God. That was unbearable to me. Right. Does but that don't make you sense? think it would be, a, and, I understand, but I feel like a better approach would have been, um, let's see. First of all, we all live in a society. Okay. Joker face. And I see people in chat again saying like, but why would you even want to care about other people then without a God? I don't need a God to care about other people because I recognize that for society to function, when people care about each other, that leads to a better world, which in turn benefits me. So if I were to crash my car and break up the ceiling on the, the um, car wash, then lying about that is going to negatively impact me down the mm -hmm. road in multiple ways. One, I could get fired from my job. Two, I could face repercussions from the, the car wash location. Uh, three, if you are repeatedly lying and you're, you become known almost as a, a serial liar, that is going to negatively impact your ability to successfully navigate the world. All of things All of that would hurt me, but I also recognize that by bettering other people, by bettering their well-being, that in turn, in a roundabout way, benefits me. So I think that in theory, I think this all sounds good. My question and the reason this came up for me is knowing someone who sort of had similar opinions or beliefs, who was able to do things that I couldn't understand that they could sleep with, that they, that they could sleep at night, <laughs> that mm -hmm. they could live with themselves having done those things. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about a person who sees themselves as ethical and based in reason and based in, like you're saying, uh, making the right decision. Their morality came from a place of reason and ration rationality and saying, this benefits me in the long run to behave in this way mm -hmm. and, and not to hurt people, right? Um, but being able and willing to hurt people um i couldn't understand it until i realized they've they've somehow reasoned it out and rationalized it and because there's no higher thing that says it does not matter if you think this is fair or just as a human you don't do xyz to people um there was nothing higher for that person to hold themselves to and so i can see that you know i use the first example i used with myself in the ban analogy because i think I should put it on myself first, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think without God, I would definitely make these little concessions here and there where it's like, it's okay. I had someone, a friend yesterday or two days ago say, um, they encouraged me to tell a white lie about something, something silly and trivial and unimportant because it was easier. Like the kind of white lies people do when they get out of a, a commitment even, right? Like I can't because uh, this thing came up that blah, blah, blah. I can't even do that anymore. I'm not saying that because I'm a pure person. I'm not. I used mm. to be able to do those kind of things, but now it's sort of like, I truly believe that I'm supposed to live the way that God's telling me to, then I can't do that. If my, I have a friend who he's always like, if your wife asks, if, if I, does this dress make me look fat? You're not supposed to tell the truth. I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> you yeah, are exactly. supposed to tell the truth because she needs to know that she can trust you. And actually this fits what you're saying. Anyway, without a belief in God, we're sort of arriving at similar conclusions because you're saying, no, it's better for you as the husband to tell the truth so she knows she can trust what you say. If right. she looks fat in that dress, tell her. If she doesn't, tell her so she knows that you're someone she can come to for a real opinion, whether but or not. Don't you, you think that people could also do bad things as Christians? Like, oh, how many yeah. times have we seen people say, 
oh, well, yeah, I, you know, I molested this person or I had this kind of porn on my computer, but I know that God forgave me. So I didn't feel like really very guilty anymore because God has forgiven me. I'm, oh, I'm washed truly, clean of my sins. I absolutely agree with you. I think that happens all the time. And I think, I, I don't know yet what to make of those people. I, I think maybe it's a very shallow kind of faith. Um, someone like Josh Duggar, he, he never left his belief system. He grew up in it. He never came to it consciously after a lot of thought and like figuring out what do I believe about these things? I don't know. I'm not one to judge, but I don't, I don't know if he's ever had, if I were to try to have a conversation with him, like I'm having with you, first of all, I don't think that he would be a sincere person. And, and I don't know if I could pull out of him. What was that experience like for you of experiencing God or if right. he would just repeat things. So a lot of people don't live consciously and, and that doesn't, that's Christians, non-Christians, whatever, like, but that's the like even what you just said, like I, I want to live away according to God or what God wants. Like mm -hmm. we don't have a consensus on what God wants or what God has even said. All we really have is people saying that God told them to do this or the Bible, I guess we could talk about. But that, too, is just full of a lot of, of flaws and errors and inconsistencies. We don't need to go down that path. That's true. The thing hey, is, I know I'm, it, yeah, it just seems as if there's no consensus on what God actually wants. This is why we have people that say, no, being gay is bad because it's a sin against God, which is one of the worst approaches to take because now you're saying that somebody existing the way that they are is a sin, even though there's no demonstrable harm. So what makes it a sin then? Why would God call this a sin if it doesn't lead to something bad in our life? I have started to think, and I'm still thinking this through, but I've started to think that some of the the boundaries or the things that the, these things that God sets up to say, don't do these things, these are sins. I'm starting to think that some of them, um, I used to think of them as restrictions on freedom, kind of like an authoritarian parent, right? You, you can't do this. Why? Um, mm -hmm. Another example might be no sex before marriage. Well, if there's no one it's hurting, then why not? Right. Now I'm starting to think that what if God is just a loving father who's telling you these are the ways I'm giving you these guidelines because I think you're going to have the best, you're going to live in the best way possible and have the best life if you follow them. But you're not going to live sense? a good life if you are gay and are unable to live your life fulfillingly as having a partner or getting married. Um, you're not going to live the best life. I don't know because that's not something I struggle with. But I always cut off those people who say that they've, and I do know some of them, I know there are documentaries out there of people who say, I'm gay or I have homosexual desires and I've, I've stopped engaging in it, right? Or like Milo now says he doesn't have gay sex, right? He's ex-gay. I mean, ex-gay. <laughs> I've always been like, that's BS. <laughs> that's what I used to think. Um, I'm at a place now where, I haven't listened to them yet, but I want to listen to some of those stories and see what I think about them. Cause I don't know. I don't know enough about that. And that's not my struggle. I had a struggle with the sex before marriage thing when I started dating and I was recently a Christian it was like, but why should I swear it off? I don't get it. Like, it's not like, it's not like hurting anyone. I think and there's a very good rational reason that doesn't that? involve God at all. Well, there's, there's multiple things is one by having multiple partners on a very practical sense, you open yourself up to risks in regards to STDs, um, as at least for men who are sleeping around, you uh, raise the risk of possibly getting somebody pregnant without you know planning on that. 
Um, so there are risks there. It also could be argued that it does do a, a type of harm because of one, there are statistics showing that people who have slept with other people before their marriage have a higher likelihood of divorcing. So it has the potential to hurt your future. And there's also evidence that when you have sex with, at least with a woman, there are certain hormones that are released. In Oxytocin, her, her brain. Like, yeah. yeah. that The bonding. That, yeah, that make her feel more connected to you. And, and just sort of treating that as if it's nothing but like, you know, just like get your quick fix kind of thing is uh, um, at the expense of her well-being in many ways. So I think that you could really provide actually a very rational reason as to I why think so too. sex without marriage isn't isn't a great idea. I think so too in that case. And I wonder if that's the case for every rule or boundary that God set. I don't know yet. Not for I'm being still... gay. That's why I've had that conversation many times. I ask everybody, I have it yet. Sin? And they've, they've, I've never had an answer yet. Well, uh, I will say, I know I've taken up a lot of your time. I will say that I've enjoyed talking with you, Hunter. And I wasn't sure if I was going to. And everyone in my chat at the beginning, not everyone, most of them were like, no, why are you doing this? I, I enjoyed it. I, I appreciate you coming and hanging out with me and sure. offering me your opinions. I gave you a better impression that not every uh, you know, liberal atheist is a wokey or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they all are. But yeah, you definitely, um, I don't know, you encouraged me about the state of conversation and people being able to have it and actually listen to one another and try to figure out what the other person's saying instead of just putting on them what you want it to be that they're saying, right? So you right. can disagree. No, I um, really appreciate this combo too. I mean, like I said, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, debates that I do that are nothing like this. They are, are incredibly hostile. The person is throwing insults. I'm throwing insults and it's just like massive train wrecks. So it's really refreshing to have- Do you enjoy those? The, the the this kind of a conversation yeah no the hostile ones do you like those yes those are my favorite <laughs> really yeah. why that I'm, sounds I'm awful weird. I'm just I'm weird like that I just I like being in the hostile environment they're thrown in uh, I like to think how much faster I can come up with a better roast it's just I don't know how did you ever do comedy stand up comedy no oh no not at all anyway okay <clears throat> well thank you very much. I'm not going to keep you from your family any longer. Uh, thank you guys who were hanging out in chat tonight. I didn't get to read a lot of it tonight. I'm sorry. I was a lot more focused in this conversation than I am on our Monday, Friday live shows. I'll see you guys tomorrow for Kafafi break. And um, Hunter, where can people find you online if they want to check out more of your videos? Yeah, if people want to show up. They can um, They can go right over to my YouTube channel just by typing in Hunter Avalone. Um, I'm going to actually be staying around, sticking around here live. I have a couple other short conversation scheduled so um cool if anybody okay. wants to come over here to to this stream i guess are you ending your stream or are you i'm ending mine i have to go to the bathroom and okay. also i'm gonna watch some true crime probably yeah. uh i did want to say thank you matt deckard real quick i'm sorry i forgot these gave a super chat and said i watch you both to the pain um and ian so forth gave me 10 lira and said uh woke is the worst the left got get called huh i've heard worse thrown around without cause um i know that's not lira hunter it's a joke we do i assume so okay. yeah. right. and this will thank you two dollars <throat> says we know the arguments but what are the solutions i think that's an old super chat from when we were talking about systemic racism maybe maybe or trans stuff anyway the answer to the systemic racism thing would mainly be to just start with proper investing into those communities i didn't even get a chance to shout out trump
because Trump did something really cool with that, with the opportunities, with the opportunity zones. They unfortunately didn't, they didn't work the way that they, they could have, but he definitely had the right idea. And I always bring that up when I'm talking to conservatives, because I say, this is something Trump did. That was totally a good idea. The opportunity zones. I think he did a few things. So I was one of those people that when he won in 2016, I was one of those people crying um and uh and then i ended up voting for him in 2020 because over the course of those four years while i was changing a lot of my opinions obviously about social justice my my old way of looking at the world but also in part of doing that i started to try to look at everything and form my own opinion right and i realized i had a lot of opinions that weren't my own that they were just what my tribe believed in. I I thought they were my opinions until I started questioning everything. And then it's like, well, how did I arrive at this conclusion? I had opinions about writers and podcasters and public figures and stuff that I had never taken the time. I had never listened to a Trump speech, for example. Mm, And so I started trying to do more of that. And in doing that, I saw him do some things that I agreed with. And I came to realize, in my opinion, by the time we got to the election between him and Biden, I was like, well, he's the more liberal candidate and i need to pick the most liberal one that was my opinion so um anyway i'm sorry i was gonna leave your stream that no, that's not at true. all I, I i totally can appreciate that because i feel like i i've sort of had the um uh similar sort of thought process but yeah either way hey thanks so much for having me on yeah. and uh yeah yeah have a good rest of your day yeah you too you guys go jump on it uh hunter's stream if you want to hang out more okay or if anybody wants to join the discord and debate me that too is open so he loves right. that. Okay. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. Oh, wait, guys, I got to do this outro video. Thank you so much for hanging out. And thanks for even though the power went out and talking about cowboy boots. This is one for the books. <laughs> so thank you. Bye, guys.